I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice. Tumbling down the rabbit hole, hmm? You could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Okay. Welcome to Team Rabbit Hole Edition 250. Once again, it is Gemini Brett plotting trajectories. Join the team as we catch up and rekindle the flames with an intuitive and practical astrologer assessing our times, our place, and what in the world astrocartography actually is. Welcome and well met, Gemini Brett. Thank you, Raphael. Wonderful to see you. This is my first like cameras on video experience um, here at the podcast and, and with you in general, Jim and I have done this before. So it's really wonderful to put some faces to the words and the, the soothing sound of the radio voice. How in the heavens are you? Oh, I'm OK. Lost a job, got concussed. Things could be worse, but. I guess on my north node in midheaven are near uh, Uranus and Taurus right now. So it's like, I'm not terribly surprised. Um, Raphael, how are you? Well, I'd say I'm doing fine despite any apparent obstacles. As you know, Ganesh, the remover of, of obstacles and guardian of the threshold, is my personal deity in a sense. So, you know, that's how we roll. Staying in the present, uh, taking it one by one, staying positive and, you know, staying with an integrity and discernment most of all. So... We're happy to, to be talking to you. I'm sure there's lots to glean from you during these times in particular as well. Yeah, we lots to glean, but are we allowed to talk about it? So are we going to draw oh, here some cards? We're allowed to talk about we anything. Start here? We're going exactly. to do the regular rigor moral. Um, you are the 250th episode. You've been on here a few times, but 250 is kind of crazy. I'm surprised we've held this. Yeah, show. congratulations. That's beautiful. Uh, gnarly we used to be turning them out when i was in gold coast which you'll see was near a pluto line for me we'll get into this later so of course we were doing eight hours a day on podcasts and i did six hours of readings and stupid shit anyway i digress we'll get into all that today 250 reduces to seven in the major arcana that is the chariot card i am confident that with discipline i will succeed it's about taking charge of your own destiny seizing the moment letting the moment carry you forward finishing what you've set into motion and not hesitating. You can do this. Raphael, what? So we got the angel of vivification, 64, belonging to the archangels. This angel protects against anger, hatred and accidents caused by unscrupulous people and traffic accidents. This angel encourages all who seek wisdom, teachers, authors and speakers, influencing those who love reading and all the bookstores that offer knowledge. It is the affirmation, I focus my mind and allow myself to see the whole picture. In the tarot, the six of swords and angel quality, intense productive life, vivification, inspiration, antidote against the forces of darkness. Fascinating so, to get the chariot and then yeah, the yeah. angel of traveling and chariots, yeah? I think you were 
you were doing Sedona shit, right? Like when we, I, I don't know if we broadcast. Right. Well, but that was actually, we should have got the angel of um, not enough Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but today it's plenty. And yeah, it's interesting that the Toro Astro correspondence, when that started, came in places um, the chariot, which we really think of as change, right? And moving forward in these kinds of things with cancer, which, yeah, it's, I think it's always fascinating because cancer tends to be more based at home very importantly you know the cancer time is a very significant seasonal shifting whether you're in the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere of course when the sun finds its way to zero degrees cancer that's when it stops moving north and starts moving south and there's ways that we can experience this in earth so one is um, looking at the horizons right so The sun, if you watch, does not rise in the same place every day, but rather travels north and south of east throughout the course of the year. So same thing with sunset, right? So when the sun ingresses tropical cancer, it's rising as far north on the eastern horizon as it can. It's setting as far north on the western horizon as it can. And then like a crab... It stops that northerly motion, stops and turns around and goes the other way. So solstice means the sun stops. And interestingly, this happens at the tropics. Tropics comes from the Greek tropikos, which means turn around. And you can even see this in the Cancer glyph, which looks like the 69. But if you can check that out, it's really like the sun moving six months in one direction, stopping and turning around and moving six months in the other direction. Or for the moon who gets through the zodiac in a month, it's like two weeks south and stopping and turning around and two weeks north like that. There's other beautiful things that the moon does over a 18.6 year cycle, which is actually heating up, but that's not our conversation for today. But we are going to be talking about traveling. And we were saying before we hit record traveling without moving, which is an interesting part of this trip too, and certainly for the mystic and the the spiritual journey. Sometimes we can go a lot further sitting still with our eyes closed and using the breath for our fuel. Yeah. But I think that there is that beautiful, there seems like a contradiction in considering chariot and movement and cancer, which we usually describe as the home and shelter, an interesting word that the three of us have been exploring. And I'm sure the two of you with other guests again and again and again over the course of the last crazy couple of years. Um, but there is that sense that cancer actually is one of the, the great shifts because it's the edge. And actually, on that northern edge, Gemini brings us there. And in the Gemini glyph, right, which is the pillars, this is better experienced in between solstice and solstice, between winter solstice, the lowest midday sun of the year, and therefore the longest shadow. And from there the sun begins its six-month climb to the highest degree, which, of course, in the Northern Hemisphere is zero cancer. In the Southern Hemisphere, things are reversed, yeah. But either way, we get every year the sun moving between its northern and southern extremes, between its lowest depth at midday and the longest shadow of the midday, the noon sun, and then its highest height, right? So that's that zero cancer entrance. But really, so you can see that Gemini glyph and, you know, the sun getting higher for six months, stopping and turning around and now descending for six months, right? So the cancer glyph is like 
six months back, six months horizontal. six north, six south, and the Gemini six up and six down. Or if I've you put a stick in the ground, you see the shadow getting longer and shorter. And one of the things here, actually, when I when I explore and I, I do a launch teaching around the sacred astronomy that's encased in the very glyphs that we use to depict the astrological signs, which aren't ancient, by the way, they're like medieval times. Um, but it really talks about tropical astronomy. So one thing you'll hear, like from the rationalist camp of our day and age, these scientists who have been so separated from the sacred, you know, is that the tropical zodiac doesn't count because the signs no longer align with the constellations, right? So I was born with the sun and the sign of Scorpio, but it was actually aligned to the constellation of that they call Virgo. Um, but this tropical zodiac, it's not about out there. It's actually about Earth. And, you know, very interestingly, and we'll look at this on the map maybe, but when the sun ingresses tropical cancer, it's hovering right above Earth's tropic of cancer. It's not in the constellation of the crab, okay, which does not look like that glyph. With that glyph, the cancer glyph, or the Gemini glyph, the Gemini brings us all the way to the extreme, and cancer's like, bring it back in, dude. Like, bring it home. Don't get so, like, out there. The opposite side, this happens, Sagittarius, the sign that's often associated with the vision quest and going out on the journey. And Capricorn's like, bring it back to the tribe, right? So... Both of these signs or pairs of signs, Gemini and Cancer, that's like the northern pair and Sagittarius and Capricorn, that's the southern pair, right? They are at these solstice extremes and the tropical zodiac is about that. It's about this journey, whether it's tracking the sun during the course of the year, the moon during the course of the month, the zodiac during the course of the day. And maybe our talk today will bring us into that a bit. This is this journey between the tropicos, which means the turnaround points, and the tropical zodiac is named for that reason, as are the tropics of Capricorn and Cancer, which are the bounds of the tropical zodiac. So a really wonderful response to like the astro haters of our day and age is... Um, why don't you, because they'll say like, well, that's not cancer when the sun in July 4th, or you say it's in cancer, but it's actually in the constellation of, I call it the twins to differentiate signs and constellations. They'll say in the constellation of Gemini. And I'll say, oh, why don't you call that place on earth 23 and a half degrees north of the equator? Why don't you call it the Tropic of Gemini then? And they're like, what are you talking about? That's like a totally different thing. I'm like, well, let me teach you some astronomy. And then, and I'll show you what the tropical zodiac is, which is Earth's zodiac. It is the zodiac of below, of our home, of the most important planet, I would suggest, the one that we chose, or perhaps she chose us. And I don't know how that works, but of course, I'm talking about Earth. Um, I drew some cards too. I have these nerdy constellation cards that have like star facts on the back for geeks like me, right? Yes. But I use them for divination. And um, the card that I drew for us was actually the Little Dipper. Um, it's actually an asterism of a constellation called Ursa Minor, the Little Bear. 
And there's a wonderful old tale about how these bears got in the sky. But importantly, the very tale star of the Little Dipper or of Little Bear Ursa Minor, it's strangely long tail because bears on earth have very short tails, but the bears of heavens have these long ones. Um, it is the North Star, right? So never seen in the Southern Hemisphere because it's for the Northern sky, but it is what we can literally set our compass to or check that our sundials work and all this. It helps us get directions. And really what the tropical zodiac is all about, it is a directional phenomena. Yeah. And so I know one thing that we're interested in exploring today is this idea of astro maps, astro cartography. There's other techniques, local space, the geodetic map. I and mean, obviously we're not going to turn this into a massive teaching class. I'll show you a few things, but I'm very interested as a student of time and space, right? How the planets moving through space basically define our experiential time, like in this three-dimensional measurable reality um, and how as time goes by, we are kind of spatially initiated, right? Astrologically speaking, but we can also move through space. And Raphael, just knowing your kind of interests and expertise and Jim, this goes for you too. Um, you know, we have space time and the three dimensions of space, the X, Y, Z, and, you know, a single linear time dimension, but also, and I think we're going to spend some time because if we look at these maps, of course, it's like, oh, I want to go there. And then, you know, the Illuminati is like, you're not allowed to. Um, but anyway, so what about traveling without moving? What about bringing some of these power places on earth? And we all have them to us. And, you know, in this modern age, that could be you know, eating some food from another place or tuning into its music, learning its language, learning its sacred dances, you know, whatever it could be, spending some time like in the inner eye at a sacred space in a land far away, that kind of trip, right? And when we can get really still and really like rock slow, right? And we make space one dimensional, then time offers more of a three dimensionality. And that's one of the adventures of astrology, right? Where we can use astrology as a way out. So I hear that a lot, right? When's this going to end? That's like a way out question. That's a pretty common one. Another one is like, oh, yeah, I'm an asshole like this because this thing in my chart, right? That's just astrology as a way out. We want astrology to be a way in, including if I, as I do daily, look at these charts Okay, that's a lie. Weekly, look at these charts and say, when does this madness end, right? Am I just trying to run away from the moment now? Or especially when I attempt to answer that question by rewinding the clock to 1930 and seeing how that time played out and rewinding it again and seeing these cycles. And, you know, this is a very beautiful cancer thing too. Look at that glyph. Look at how the crab moves sideways and lives at the surf where the water moves sideways, you know, and the tidal forces, the tides, you know, governed by the moon and the way the moon reflects sunlight to earth, the phases, you know, these three parts of the philosophy of the whole world. Um, if I can use astrology 
to not limit myself only to this moment now, but future trip for a reason and get into the past for a reason, which in seeing these cycles before and beyond bring me more into this moment now with more information, right? Like this is the true goal. So it really is this, you know, time and space and, and traveling without moving. We were talking about this Jamiroquai song before we hit record or broadcast or whatever, but um, you know, that's from Dune. So the spice must flow. Right. But isn't there even like a walk without rhythm? So you won't attract the worm. Is that Jamiroquai or that's someone else? But that's that's, that's what comes Dune to as now. well. Is that yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah. If you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worm. It's either right. Jamiroquai or some someone else, but also some kind of funky music. But yeah, Dune. Wait, yeah. are you not a Dune head, Raphael? Oh well, in a sense, I totally am. It's not that I've really read all of it, but the, I read the first book. And of course, the movies are a joke. If only Alex Alejandro Jodorowsky did the Dune. But supposedly there's a new one coming out, which looks pretty nice from what I have seen. Um, Dune, yeah, I'm not even going to start with it. I, I just want to say I once wrote a, an article, let's say, interestingly enough, comparing certain parallels that happen in Dune with quite a few things that at least from the far uh, remote view, in a sense, also appear to happen in Libya, interestingly enough even just with the water aquifers and, you know, the tribalism and, oh, yeah. But Dune is also the genetics. There's so much in Dune. I'm not sure if anything you want to say about it, but it's Dune is incredible. Or yeah. just a lesson you know, about centralization and, and organization and how to organize a society and how to wean a society off of having blind obedience to the god emperor, you know, everything very prescient in a sense and uh, very <laughs> timely. Yeah, the empire, the elite right? The royal families. There's a lot of interesting themes there. And man, Frank Herbert was tuned in. He was a professor at the University of Washington where I ended up returning to school to finish after dropping out to be a musician for a long time. And I mean, he was, I'm sure, before my time or I wasn't maybe hip enough at the time to seek him out. I imagine he had passed. I don't know. But yeah, that book was a huge initiation factor for me earlier in life. And you know, now they've got um, the foundation, Isaac Isimov's foundation series is coming to the screen for the first time, Apple TV, a month from yesterday. And, you know, I, as much as I'd like to put the axe in the TV, we also, the three of us I know have shared about how so much of the predictive programming slash, it doesn't have to only be the powers that shouldn't be controlling the minds through you know, the manipulation tube. There's also something about how spirit is manipulating folks to manipulate and how creator is creating through creators to bring us, you know, this art from the other side. Um, and so I go through phases and I'll tell you when that thing hits the screen, like I'm going to be glued in because the foundation series, I was just this morning actually woke up and I was like, oh, I need to dig into Isaac Asimov's um, birth chart. Um and it, he doesn't even know his birthday for sure right so that that russian or whatever he was born in a tiny town which i think had about as many people as you have podcast episodes and um and they emigrated when he was really young and i don't you know i don't know maybe birthdays weren't as important or i don't know right so in the in the so-called rodin ratings that lewis rodin defined for like birth times he gets the xx like you don't even know your birthday um, and so that often happens, 
Yeah, not, I mean, less than more from my experience, but with adoptions or who knows. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty tricky to do astrology, right? In the exploration of space, if we don't have a time. And then, so we have a lot of techniques for rectifying. And one of them that I use, although some astrologers feel it's criminal to do so, are these astro maps. Because in my experience, significant places on earth that really sing to your soul are typically indicated on these astro maps using techniques like astrocartography or local space. And then the idea would be, well, considering his family at an early age moved from Russia over to the United States, looking at the different places he's lived, looking at where, you know, the first publishing company that publish. I mean, he, he wrote more books than you have podcast episodes, right? So there's a lot of places where we can journey and, and see. And so there's a lot of different ways we can, what we call rectify and try to find out the birth time, including like important times in his life. But I woke up this morning saying, look, you know, the, the, the chart amazingly we find it doesn't stop after you die. So Dali has been one of my kind of interesting examples in teaching maps, right? Because he was born in Spain and in Fueras and moved to Madrid for school and then kind of got, it, got in with a surrealist then and that relocated him to Paris. And then he split during the war and moved to New York and then split his time between New York City and Monterey, California. And so I see, you know, an example where somebody famous has lived in many places but an interesting thing about Dali is, you know, years and years after he died, like uh, for the first time, his provocative artist in Saudi Arabia, like not far from Mecca, right? And that shows up in his charts timing techniques. So even though he died, those planetary oh, signatures... Gemini, I'm, I'm not sure what happened, but somehow your microphone got distorted. Maybe just try disabling and re-enabling it again. Don't just for the last it. 10 seconds but, yeah, i was like well it sounds like a, a bit modulator modulator <laughs> exactly <laughs> like okay so i just changed microphones yeah. but let me see if i can change it back how does this one sound now you're good you're good you can continue i'm not thank a robot you. anymore no, no okay. thank you <laughs> anyway ai take over without getting too technical and very fascinating thing is that charts still work after somebody dies, right? So I woke up this morning like, oh, Isaac Asimov, because this foundation series, which spans thousands of years of time in this trilogy of books he wrote. And then many people know Isaac Asimov. It's Asimov robot again. Maybe just switch to the other mic, whatever it is. <laughs> so it's just, it's like, this is fun, yeah. fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. So many people know Asimov's work because of iRobot, but I'm going to just say in human voice, if that's okay, um, as I describe that, right? Because the foundation, it has more of kind of a humanity and a long term, and there's a kind of a lot of dune in that particular sci-fi. I mean, it's like a galactic empire that's united, like all planets everywhere. Um, and it's based upon this cat, Harry Selden, who is kind of mathematically sorted out being able to predict the future. And I loved this book when I was a kid. I really wish I could know when I was into it, when I was reading it, because it really, it was like the, my first exposure to what I would call astrology. Um, and I didn't know it at the time. And certainly Asimov himself, at least exoterically, was very much a rationalist and probably would speak out against astrology, I would assume. Um, even though he's annotated the Bible and stuff, I think 
I just actually ordered his notes on Genesis because I'm imagining he's trying to tell it through the tale of Big Bang and modern science and whatnot, you know? Um, but, you know, that foundation theory that we can kind of, if we have really advanced mathematical models, predict the future flow of, you know, the human species, like, that's very much a mundane astrological thing, right? <laughs> so, I, and so I can't get his birth date, although some other astrologers in the past have done rectifications and found a birth date and birth time for him. And so that will just happen through, you know, powerful experiences in his life should be indicated by the planetary happenings at the time in respect to his birth moment. And we do this detective work to find out a birth time when, for clients who don't know it, for example, right? But I'm sure it will be easy for me to find out the original publishing and release date, or in other words, the birth date for the first of the foundation books. And I would suggest that should also be inspired slash initiated by the planetary alignments on September 24th, 2021, when that book for the first time hits the screen, right? And so I'm just kind of personally inspired because I, I feel like, I don't know, it might have been my the, the first kind of whispers of my callings to, to this craft. Word. Uh, yeah, no, I don't want to stop your flow. I was just thinking, I think your, sun, uh, your Venus is conjunct the sun today, isn't it? No, it's 15 degrees. I was looking at three minutes, not the degrees. My bad. Never mind. Shut the fuck up, Jim. Don't You don't know what you're talking well, about. Well, <laughs> Mars is very near to where Venus was when I was born in this moment. And um, Venus is right at my natal Mercury right now. And Yeah, so this is... Um, oh, no, I lost you. No, I, I, know, I haven't seen Raphael. Yeah, I went to go look at a chart and I couldn't find you. Um yeah, this just for people listening, this is and if you haven't pursued astrology much before, just in a very general statement, you know, what is time? OK, so we hear in spiritual circles often like, well, time is completely this human construct, like it's absolutely fake. A minute is like this arbitrary unit that people have defined as much as like an inch or a centimeter where do those come from? Like somebody just said, hey, this is an inch, y'all. Um, now we can get deeper actually into those mysteries and see some really beautifully rooted um, space-time correspondence that is just mind-boggling and related planetary and whatever. But to, before we get all that crazy, if we choose to, i just say for now, like there are some things in time that are very real. Like and as a skeptic and a cynic and a sometimes rationalist myself, when somebody tells me that time is fake, I'm like, nice wrinkles, you know? And more importantly, will the sun not set for you today? Right? So you're just living in this eternal moment and not aging? I don't think so. I mean, maybe on a soul level and that's fine, but have you not like I incarnated into like a monkey suit to dance here on earth? <laughs> and, you know, where certainly death is one of the necessities and we ought to run towards it rather than away from it to learn a lot more about what this place is, you know? And so the avoidance of three-dimensional time for your spiritual unfoldment, it's like, why'd you come to, why did you incarnate? It seems like a bad idea. Anyway, here on earth, we're on a thing that spins. You know, don't tell the Flat Earth Society I said that, but the sky doesn't lie. 
and um, the fact that we have a north and south pole in the sky, it would be really hard to have a model like that without a north and south pole on the planet, which basically necessitates a sphere. So the Earth spins once in a day, and that defines the day, right? Like time is space. The Earth orbits the sun in a year. They dance about each other in a year. That defines time. Like how we go from days to hours and hours to minutes and minutes to seconds, that's a little bit more arbitrary. Um, yet, you know, there is certainly time described astronomically, like time and space are intimately related. In a birth chart, right, which is kind of the, well, the foundation of natal astrology, where we're looking at, you know, some the moment of somebody's birth and looking at the planetary geometry at the time, something that will never, ever, ever repeat. And the truth is, I literally, with as much astronomy as I know, do not have to go beyond the moon, sun, earth system to say that every moment is absolutely unique and it will never, ever repeat. So we're speaking right now with the sun in Virgo and the moon in Aries. And um, I mean, that happens every year, but not in the specific geometry. And even if this ge geometry on the chart, this phase, this you know moon reflecting sunlight to earth in this particular way, repeated like to the numbers, the moon is gonna be bigger or smaller, closer or far further. Like there, there, there is absolutely no way that the moon reflecting the sunlight to earth can do this in the same way twice. Every moment is absolutely unique and very importantly to get to this kind of astro mapping topic, the way that the moon is reflecting Virgo sun, the Aries moon reflecting Virgo sunlight to the Bay Area of California where I currently am is very different than it is in, oh, Austria or where, where in the world are you, Jen? Colorado. Colorado. Right. I mean, Colorado is a little closer. I mean, Raphael, are you nighttime or daytime right now? Well, now it's daytime. Right. Uh, nighttime, nighttime I mean, nighttime, of course, nighttime. Oh, you're uh, nighttime. Okay, cool. Well, and Jim, not, as, as far course. as the earth spins, you're, you know, you're an hour ahead of me or whatever on the clocks, the way that we do time in this convention today, which is definitely a construct. But I mean, just think about the significant difference of day and night. So I'm not saying I need to like, prove astrology to either of you and you're both very hip and your audience does not need it either right but i spend a lot of time kind of defending what i do not only against my own rationalist self but by folks out there and when happy to debate i mean i have shown now in my life two different nasa astronomers who were open-minded enough to listen what the actual astronomy and earth astronomy of the tropical zodiac is to the point where they were like oh well that's that a thing interpreting the data whoops right yeah. and that well not misinterpreting the data choosing not to look at the data because my teachers told me it was bullshit because my teachers told me that's not science that's pseudoscience and it's ancient archaic superstition left over from a people who didn't know shit about the world and now we know everything so anyone who's wasting their time looking at pseudoscience like astrology, right, is ignorant. Right? So it takes an open-minded person to break through those barriers, which are so deeply programmed into us by our school, 
and society and culture and the TV and all the things, right? I mean, a fistful of psychedelics won't hurt, um, but people can also just find their way. I mean, for me, not to say there haven't been fistfuls of psychedelics in my path, um, but I took, as you know, from previous conversations, we know like more of the rabbit hole and the conspiracy path. And so it's, you know, the rabbit hole here is nice to find. But as we've shared, like don't only seek the darkness and that journey below, but seek the light. And that's been really kind of my own path, right? Kind of losing my, hmm, losing my, um, what is the respect for, or I don't know how do how do I can't even say the words of how I've just given up on the idea that you know the government is here for me and all that. Oh. Right? <laughs> And once you break out of the program, then you're going to be more open-minded to look at other things. Now, we're also going to clutch at those things, right? When you wake up to the truth that the world that you were taught is fake, then it's a lot easier to say, oh, then what is real? And so we say, oh, we live on one giant tree. And you're like, yeah, man, like, of, of course, we it can't be a globe. Total we live on one fucking down. tree. Well, may I ask you something contentious then, uh, also talking about archaic superstitious science. Of course, sure. uh, you're familiar and uh, you somehow brought it up. Um, that so many ancient cultures actually, let's just say, map the world very differently than the modern one-type Mercator-style map they put in every classroom, which already makes it a bit... Uh, makes me wary off. Makes me wary of just believing that if they put it everywhere, and we know just the way you project it, you know, in the, on the equator, like it looks different, and they can have all kinds of tricks. One thing in particular, is it not common understanding that uh, the phases of the moon or the shadow that's shown on the moon in with an official cosmology is determined by the shadow that is cast by the earth is that correct no that's wrong um, okay that's good movie... because i'll just i'll then let you talk because what uh, i observed recently what was quite interesting is it was like 4 p.m i was somewhere in tyrol a bit higher up and at 4 p.m. it was possible to see the sun, of course, up high on one side. And on the other side, it was the moon. And it was like a crescent moon or something. Also very high up. And it just didn't really seem to match in terms of lighting up the moon. Why it should only be partial, why it should be partially occluded or in shadow if the sun is right there. And, you know, there would be no obstruction between the sun and the moon. So why is the moon only half visible? Um, you know, well, anything okay, you can so, say about uh, that. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a, this is what we should be learning in school. And this school Agreed. is called the sky, right? So this won't work for the people who are listening on audio. But Raphael, what side of my face is lit up right now? It is the right side from my perspective. Okay, the, we'll call it the plant side, okay? Because I had a yes. plant on one side of my face and a, and a, and the and a star on the other side, a yes. mirror on the other side of my face. And you said the plant side's lit up. Why? Because that's where the sun is shining in from. Right. Which so is why brighter. is the other side of my face not lit up? Because there is less sunlight. Because it's in my shadow. Right. 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 So the sun is illuminating. This is actually the left side of my face, if, if my body's right. Um, and the right side, because the sun, as you accurately hypothesized, is shining through a window on my left. And and I'm wearing the sun on my shirt on the right side, I guess. Um, and so it's illuminating the left side of my face. 
but I have kind of a big nose and the right side of my face is in the shadow of my face. So that side of the moon that's not illuminated, it's not in the shadow of Earth, it's in the shadow of the moon. Right? So only the part of the moon from Earth's point of view that is facing the sun is lit up. And so as the moon changes its distance from the sun, all from Earth's point of view, okay? So like classic is the full moon. The full moon is opposite Earth, or sorry, yeah, opposite Earth from the sun. And therefore, as the sun sets, the moon rises, the full moon rises. In the full moon, it's like re completely reflecting the sign. I mean, maybe I should bring up animations I make to teach because I teach astronomy to astrologers. One of the things I'm most known for. Um, but there's a lot of cool, there's a lot of cool models you can do for this. I'd encourage you to check out phases of the moon on YouTube and just like learn that astronomy and then put it aside and go outside during the course of the month and, and watch the moon wax and wane and feel into that model. So, you know, the flat earthers, they have their own reason for what the moon's doing. And a lot of them are working with kind of bad theories in the first place. Those so, so like, so you globies or whatever, you know, there's a lot of different words for the, for the round earth believer. Right. Um, we've done like a flat earth thing before. haven't we? like, I don't need to go back there, but anyway, um, you know, I mean, they, they make a lot of cool arguments. Like when I look outside, you know, the thing looks pretty flat. Not to say that the earth doesn't have hills and shit like that, but I've never seen like the curvature of the earth. I haven't been high enough to see that. And there's some other reasons why that kind of flat earth society um, brings some interesting arguments to, into play. In, in defense of that, let me just briefly bring up that from what I understand and what I glean, because we also interviewed, for example, Rodrigo Ferrari Nunes, who's an anthropologist and also very much exploring these models and actually talking to individuals, trying to understand them and, and so on. And uh, what did I want to bring up now? Uh, yeah, there, yeah, right. So that basically Flat Earth Society, rather, let's say, check out the Globebuster panel, for example, because from what I understand, Flat Earth Society is purposefully put in front of any search results because they're also kind of like a plant and put out all kinds of misinformation. Just uh, to right, get so, anyone okay. interested, there's so different I'm not actually schools. talking about the Flat Earth Society per se. I'm just using yeah. that term to describe people who have kind of embraced the Flat Earth model. Now, from an observational standing in one place on Earth point of view, the Flat Earth makes a lot of sense. But when you travel, if you know anything about the sky, and you see that from one place, if I even move from here to Colorado, or especially well, if I go north or south, the way that the stars change in that flat earth cosmology, they can basically, for most of them, and there's different flat earth cosmologies, right? And what the sky is and what the earth is. And I mean, I appreciate investigating it for two reasons. One, I'm typically the conspiracy theorist that people believe is completely checked out and they're angry about it. And that's my general feeling about flat earth folks. And they've also helped me understand that not only am I religious, but I'm a priest of a religion, right? Because there's a lot of like global spherical earth things that I believe in because people have been showing me that same map that you talked about in the globe since day one, right? And I think that on one level, 
faith is believing in things that we can't see. So if you show me pictures of the earth from the space station, why should I believe that that's not just CGI? I mean, especially in this day and age when we can make all sorts of, right? And so I would actually have to go to space myself, see that with my own eyes, and that I shouldn't believe anything that somebody tells me that I haven't seen. Okay, now that being said, when you look at things like it takes less time to fly from Brazil to Australia than it does from Brazil to Alaska. And when you look at the different flat earth maps, there's some things that just don't work. And then the defenses when I've challenged people with it is like, oh, that's just the airplanes are lying. Or even I've had people tell me that they project screens in the airplane windows. So to confuse the people who are on board and you forget that they actually had to land to refuel, it's like, what are you talking about? Right. And oh, you can't actually fly from there to there. Like those tickets you see online are fake. And it's like, okay, well, I haven't taken that flight myself. I've talked to some people that I trust who have. But you know, you can't sell things for too long if when you buy it, it doesn't exist. Right. So, anyway, so there's just been a, like some of the defenses that people come up with. It's okay. So, I've honored that. Wait a second. Like, there's a lot of things that I like just have taken on as like this is what's this is what's real so believe it's what's real and that's like religion and that oh my god like i'm teaching this shit so i'm a priest of a religion and i didn't even know i was religious and so the flat earth thing is virgo season right so it's virgo season right so let's check our data so the flat earth like challenge for me has been to first of all let's like believe in what we can see. And that's really healthy for somebody who, especially as the world seems to be falling apart around us, is conspiratorially uh, designed, (laughs) right? I'm speaking about myself. Let's also not fall prey to, you know, these are these smoky room full, like, you know, Illuminati people who are controlling this whole thing and sending us into da da da, right? It's easier for me to go there than it is. I try to also like balance that tendency in myself, or I could even call it an an addiction in myself with what I call optimistic conspiracy. But that one I have to do intentionally because I'm more naturally inclined towards conspirational pessimism. I'm a pessimist in that regard. Okay. Anyway, if you learn how the sky works and you move from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere and you see how the sky works, there is no flat earth sky cosmology that could possibly explain what I have seen with my own eyes using my brain. The only one, so when I like challenged flat earth cosmologists, with what I have seen in the way that the sky moves in the Northern Hemisphere versus the Southern Hemisphere. Um, The only one who was even willing to entertain that because a thing that that crew often will go to is, oh, I don't know and I can't know, right? So that's like, so you can only believe in the things that you have seen with your eyes. And so I'm not allowed to philosophize. I'm not allowed to do science. Right. I'm not allowed to do anything beyond the scope of my current experience. Okay. Well, if you bring your current experience from 
Austria to South Africa and witness the way that the sky works and apply some consciousness and some thought and some intellect and some science, which is actually part of the human design, right? And part of how I would say we find our way off of a flat earth trap, um, you will find that it's very difficult to explain the model of your personal experience in a flat earth cosmology, including, well, let me just leave that there. Right. And so um, I can, you know, for, I don't know, when you're free to travel again, I can show you what to look for, record. I can even go, I was hoping to go to Tahiti recently to film with my own camera and show with my own eyes some of the things that I've experienced in my life so I could share Northern and Southern Hemisphere experience with my students. Um, but the only flat earther that has been willing to listen to me about this challenge, which for me is where from personal experience, the whole flat earth cosmology crumbles, has then defended the flat earth by saying it's based upon all of these mirrors in space, which were put there, of course, by the control system to because this is somehow at the heart of most flat earth people to convince us I'm not a spiritual being. Like that to me is the weirdest shit about the general flat earth argument. And it's not, it's not for all of them at all. But if you look at like Eric Dubay, who of course is a huge priest in that world, et cetera, like, oh, you've been lied to. You've been told you live on a globe so that you well, forget. kind of argument. It's like you've been fixated on a model because I'm not a flat earther personally, but I think it's entertaining, I guess, at some level. I'm like, oh, cool. It's cool to expand my mind, but I don't live in that reality. Let's put it that way. And it feels I think like it's entertaining kind of and we should look at all things. And as a cosmologist, I should consider all cosmologies. And as an astrologer, I'm sourcing back to a tradition which was based on a flat earth cosmology, right? I mean, like that was what many of the Hellenistic astrologers were grounded into. And so I should be able to see the zodiac in that model. But, you know, many of them will kind of start their videos or start, like I've had a lot of conversation with flat earthers, right? I'm like, I'm very interested in it. And I try to be patient and open-minded. I try to learn something and also teach something. Um, and to look at myself during, like it's been a really healthy challenge for me. Um, but most of them have talked to me about how this whole deception tricking us to believe we live on a flat earth was like the control system doing this so we would forget how important we are. As if, if we live on a flat earth in the middle of the solar system, like a geocentric model, then we matter. But because I'm on a planet in the globe earth theory orbiting a sun and that every star is a sun, therefore I'm insignificant. And I'm like, okay, fuck you. Because I can stay spiritual and significant and centered in my own reality and, you know, as a bug. <laughs> okay. So like that's a, like a, a, but I think the argument would be the ratios of perception change, like in a Marshall McLuhan kind yeah. of way, um, where it's like, all right, if you, you know, kind of like shamanistic animism was a time before we knew of our cognitive self in a particular way. And now we've fallen into literacy and reading reality in a very literate way. Marshall McLuhan gets kind of into the, like the acoustic reality of the ear versus the eye and how they're always competing i just finished a really good book on this by Znor, who's been on the podcast he's a he's a fun guy in japan uh from canada in any event um it's weird because i think i can 
hypothesize, I guess, at some level and extrapolate like in a psychedelic way where I'm like, if we're in a dream, like if you watch Inception, it's like, you know, when um, the dream becomes aware of the subconscious in a way, like the reality shifts. I'm wondering sometimes how malleable our perceptual experience is in quote creating reality because what we're talking now about is of like objective reality quote unquote versus experiential reality i would tend to think that i mean this is where it gets weird because it's like if it is a multiverse maybe there's a universe where that's true and if you resonate in it you experience it as true but that gets very relativistic very quickly and it seems that communication totally and that's yeah. all good right and you look you can live in any universe you want to live in and if like the flat earth is a cosmology that's helpful for you to reclaim a selfness and a spirituality, like, please go there, right? But if you're telling me that I'm teaching something fake, and I get that all the time, it's less now because it was so hot some years ago and it's kind of, you know, dying off a bit, but, and you're challenging me and calling me names because you are ignorant in this plane. And also like, I'm a fan of multidimensionality. I'm a fan of ascension, ascension things. And I look around and earth is a mess and it might be because people are avoiding doing the work right here. And if I wanna do the work right here, I ought to know the map of the right here and the terrain. And I spend my time and I'm not the first to, I've, I've recently discovered an ancient author who called himself Geminos. Um, and I like wonder if I'm stealing this guy's name or, some, or if I was him, that sounds arrogant, I don't know. But there's a guy from the Hellenistic era really a little early, like kind of 500 BC-ish, who was challenging, eh, no, he's not, he's like, he's like turn of the millennia then, challenging the astrologers of the day to say, hey, you're forgetting astronomy. You're turning this thing only into symbols. And a lot of the astronomy you're teaching is wrong. And that's basically my kind of role today. It's one of the things I'm most known for in the astrological world today is teaching Astron I've taught a lot of astrologers astronomy. I've, I've designed the astronomy for astrologers certification course for the organization for professional astrology. I'll be teaching it for Kepler College next year. Um, that's like one of my niches, I guess, in, in the yeah, community. No, that's why I love your shit. Not only are you poetic, but you're very pra I mean, that's what I said. You're intuitive, but you're very practical. It's like, it's about yeah, I mean, I have like my materialist side. And it's actually one of the reasons why I really love astromaps because they're so astronomically derived and they teach a lot of it and most people teach the maps without teaching any astronomy but my whole my whole opinion of this i know we've talked about this but a lot of people listening won't have heard previous episodes or whatever i'm a student of the quadrivium i'm a student of quantity and quality you know earlier you said 25 is a seven and people in the mathematical world today were like what are you talking about right but this is ancient digital roots and it's very real and it's kind of numerological approach and there's a difference between seven which is two plus five and three plus four and one plus six and sevenness there's a significant difference between one and oneness and we would certainly benefit by studying both quantity where one plus one equals two and quality where you can't add oneness to anything because it is everything. And the old quadrivium approach, which is number in nature, is honoring quantity and quality. And as far as astrology goes, she's actually a rainbow bridge between the quantity of the heavenly happenings, the measurable, which is astronomy, and the immeasurable, which today they call astrology, but that's actually correspondences. 
right? And as far as I'm concerned, and this is my personal experience, my personal exploration, and this what I have witnessed in the blossoming of many students and initiates, is the more that we can understand about the quantity and the measurable in this, call it three-dimensional or whatever you want it, you know, where we are incarnated in this thing, the more we can intimately experience and therefore express the immeasurable. Yeah, because, you know, Jupiter and Saturn can join on December 21st, 2020. I can prove it to you. I looked at it in the sky, I put a ruler to it in a photo of camera lens. Kissing. Yeah. But I can't say how that danced you versus how that danced me. Just as when I break out my saxophone and I play a few things, I can't say if that's going to call you in or chase you away. Right. Or if you play a thing on the guitar for us, Jim, you know, how does how do I dance to that versus how does Raphael dance to that? Like that's correspondences. That's immeasurable. Now, your birth chart helps me understand or at least imagine how a specific noise will express itself as sound through your ears. Right. Just as and in harmony, musical harmony is one of the sciences of the quadrivium right so there's noise if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it does it make a sound and i would say no it makes a noise it vibrates the medium right but if there's no ears to hear that noise it's not sound i would say that noise is the measurable version and that sound is the immeasurable that sound is how a noise dances you yeah and so for me it's not like we shouldn't study the noise to know more about the sound and that the astronomy is like the noise. So I'm a huge fan of addressing some of the claims that the rationalists of our day stake in their lame attempts to prove astrology fake. And they stop at such a basic level. Like if they knew what I do <laughs> with time and space, which is very malleable and, you know, as much as I, can kind of on one side of me qualify or define myself as like a materialistic astrologer. I like an astronomical mechanism. You know, if I, that part of me says, look, astrology is simply this. Astronomical cycles influence our energetic experience as earthlings. And if you don't believe that, tell me how you feel at 3 a.m. and try to tell me it's the same as you feel at 3 p.m day and night, which is simply an astronomical cycle. Whether you believe that's because Earth is spinning as I do, or you believe it's because the sun is coming to you and away from you as the flat Earth, most of the flat Earth cosmologies would suggest, right? Day and night is a different animal. And the flowers open to receive the light, and they close at night to dream and rest. And we're better off when we do too. Not that some of ours aren't wired as night beings. I happen to be one of them, you know? So that is an astronomical cycle that has clear energetic influence as an earthling. Now, the other half of me understands that this is a magical map. And there are many things I do astrologically that do not seem to be sourced in nature or the 3D. They are part of a symbolic matrix code. I can't explain it. Personally, it scares the shit out of me that if somebody asks me, where is my passport? I can cast the chart for the moment they ask me the question, not the moment they lost the passport, and tell them where it is or that they're never going to find it and they might as well order a new one. Like, I don't want that to be part of my reality. And yet I see that it works. <laughs> okay. 
to ayahuasca at 2012 and talk to Jupiter, I guess, or whatever. It's like, yeah, although Jupiter wasn't telling me about that stuff. So um, I would have a, a maybe segue question. So, of yeah. course, just to mention this again, because you mentioned flat earth cosmology, there's, you know, from what we had Stellium 7 on, he mentioned, for example, convex earth. Just in general, I want to reiterate, it's really interesting to contemplate all these concepts. Just Find the best matching model. I'm completely agnostic. I only know I'm not going to trust those that, you know, push the same image into my face all the time. That's where I'm the most skeptical. And maybe a segue to the astrocartography. Just if you've ever contemplated this idea, because I recently saw some documentaries and interesting videos about it, is that it could actually be, however strange that sounds, that the moon actually gives a negative image of the surface or a good portion of the surface of the earth. So I've seen some mappings and that which looks like craters, if you invert it, you know, um, it looks eerily precisely like at least portions of the earth map. Uh, highly, interesting. highly interesting. From my own experience, because, you know, a cool thing is in, in, the, in the global earth reality, the phase of the moon, like right now we're in a, Aries moon reflecting Virgo light. That's after the um, full moon, right? The full moon from for Virgo is the moon in Pisces. That's opposite Virgo, opposite side of Earth. And so that's when the mirror of the moon reflects the sunlight fully to us, right? And Aries is the sign that follows Pisces. So as the moon orbits now, the moon is past full. She's in her waning half of the monthly cycle. Um, and this is called a waning gibbous moon, this particular phase. Some call it the disseminating moon. A cool thing is, as Earth sees a waning gibbous moon, the moon sees a waxing crescent Earth. So I've spent some time creating animations for my students in my own explorations and you know expansions of like Earth phases. And so one of the ways for me to do that, because I can find online like a lot of GIFs of um, the moon changing phase, but nobody has this for the earth. Uh, I mean, if you look, if you, I mean, not, not I'm telling you, you should believe the Apollo astronauts or whatever, but if you look at some of those photos or whatever, you're going to see like the earth in different phases as shot from the moon. Um, and so I'll often use kind of the, 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 the gifs of the moon changing phases and I'll kind of like transparent it a bit and then put the earth behind it. And I've never personally noticed a correspondence of the moon um, cratering to earthly continents. And first of all, that would only work for like one side of the earth, even if it did. There's different and, images. Some actually show portions and some even appear to show like the moon and it appears as if this is the earth. So it would even suggest that there may be more space. There's like different mappings. It's quite, anyhow, it's worth checking out. You know, I can't. Wait, so it's like if the moon is a mirror reflecting earth back to earth. And by the way, we experience things like that, but in a very different way than what these folks are suggesting from the ball earth model. It's called earth shine. Um, then the earth has to look different than the program suggests because the moon is not reflecting what my globe says the earth looks like with all of her continents and that yet. Um, so the concave earth, I, I'm interested in this. So this is like earth is a bowl. 
honestly, I, I won't claim to be able to properly explain it to you. I can only refer you to the individuals that can. Yeah. And just, yeah. you know, just new more ideas to see which model fits best and can actually explain all the strange phenomena we perceive. Right. right? Yeah, I mean, the flat Earth model that I've most entertained and I find interesting and it actually explains a lot of nature is like the the United Nations map. And you hear that often from the flat Earth camp as well, that this is, you know, the magical sorcerer is showing us what the Earth actually looks like. So okay, thank you, UN. Um, and by the way, if you all want to do some really deep astro mapping, and I guess we should get to that, I'll show you the most fascinating, trippiest astrology thing fucking ever, which is the 9-11 moment and how it points to many people who were involved. Um, like, and it's nuts. Okay. And it involves, as you can imagine, the UN. But anyway, that idea that what the North Pole is, is actually the center of the disk Right. right. And that this there is no South Pole, that what South is, is absolute opposite North. And since North is the center, then South is every direction, which is actually your experience. If you're standing at the North Pole of Earth in the global model, North is nowhere and South is everywhere. Right. And so in that map and people speak about kind of the ice wall at the edge of the disk and that kind of thing. I imagine the concave Earth is kind of a different version of that that's trying to explain some of the gravitational things that we experience. I'm not sure. Usually in the flat Earth world, gravity is like this thing that science class made up to convince you of the false paradigm of a globe. Da, da, da. Um, but, you know, when you cross the equator, if you know shit about the stars, Right. In the northern hemisphere, one of the things they'll say to explain how the sky changes, were you, Raphael, to move south from Austria down to um, Morocco, for example, and you're staying in the northern hemisphere, but the sky changes significantly. OK, so the altitude to the pole star to north star will equal your latitude on Earth. So as you're moving from like, I don't know, 45 north, you're somewhere halfway between the equator and the pole, I think somewhere around there. I don't know Austria too well. As you're moving down south, that north star gets closer and closer and closer to the ground until you hit the equator and now it's on the ground. Okay. Well, if you keep going south to the southern hemisphere, it goes below the ground and the south pole comes up. Okay. So from like extreme northern latitudes, the ex most extreme, of course, would be the northern pole, which is like the center of the disk in that model. Um, as you're walking away from that center, they're basically suggesting this is just your kind of optical illusion or just real experience of like walking away from that star. And as you walk away from a person, they appear to get smaller. They like literally appear to go down towards the ground, right? But the issue is once you cross the equator, and that star goes away altogether and a new one shows up that could work on the i'm walking away from one and walking close enough towards the other that now that they show up in front of me the issue is the direction of the sky reverses there are two and i'm just going to state it without teaching too much astronomy there are two celestial poles undeniably seen them with my own eyes, seen them from many Northern hemisphere places, seen them from many Southern hemisphere places. I can like get a Southern hemispherian on our Jitsi video call right now. I mean, I could share with you my Northern hemisphere experience at the same time that some of the Southern hemisphere experience is sharing that. Now I'm not there. I can't be in both places at once. 
right? But I can, I have had the experience that the sky has two poles. And a model where there are two celestial poles basically demands an Earth with two terrestrial poles. And if it is a disk which has two terrestrial poles, there's one above and one below, crossing the equator, you'd have to go off the edge of the world and fall onto the other side of the world. And I imagine that would be a pretty strange experience because you can go to the equator and I can show you the astronomical evidence that you're at Earth's equator, right? And this is, this is what happens. If you stay in one place on Earth, or even if you move around the Earth and don't look to the sky, you will stay earthly. You can only use your body-mind. And it's my feeling that that is where the flat earth cosmology stops. They are literally stuck on this flat earth. When you open the mind, which happens when you engage with the heavens, and especially as you explore the heavens from many different vantage points on earth, that flat earth model just falls apart. It's just impossible. I mean, the things that you have to invent, like mirrors in space built by the control system to keep me deceived, like that ain't a cheap project, y'all. And then I'm just in this Truman Show reality. And that's fine. Like I can open all sorts of wonderful metaphysical, spiritual meditations and contemplations through that. And okay. But I also want to say, look, I don't know why, but I chose to come to Earth at this time. And I'm in this suit I call Brett or my mama named it that or whatever. Like I might as well get down with my physical experience and get into the body and enjoy, you know, the senses and all these things and play some music and dance around and engage from earth in this place, right? Like this centaur to be the horse, but to also be the human. And the human has the dome of Olympus, the brain that shoots the lightning bolts. And it has an amazing availability which might not be as potential for the other animals of earth to contemplate to witness to create experiments to do some science and i'm certainly not toting my trust the science flag because most people who do are trusting the fucking false scientist priest as we know and not the science at all and that's the greatest problem we have right now so i love that the flat earth cosmologists or the concave earth cosmologists, I would imagine I haven't checked it out, or anyone presenting an alternative point of view to the program that was just, you know, programmed into us in most of our educational system. I love that people are reaching out, whether it's politically, conspirationally, like this is really powerful. Like, let's just actually challenge oh, our very cosmology of the terrain on which we live. Like, that's deep. Man. I love it. Right. But let's do that intelligently. And if you run into people who are like, oh, well, we just can't explain that. And I like, know, let, let me show it to you. Let me teach you. Like, come, like, come with me. Let's go to Venezuela. Let's watch how the sky changes or whatever, you know. No, no, you, you know, like, no, because then you're just going to be making stuff up. You're, you're the only way to do it is to tie yourself to a fucking rocket ship and blast yourself into space and get high enough to see the curvature of Earth. It's like okay, that seems like a really unsafe experiment. It's a high litmus. So what happened with the astronomers of old, and I wasn't there, or maybe I was, and I, you know, 
Um, and I don't think we have recordings of this, but we can see the change in the astrological language. It's like people started getting around town and they started going south of the equator. And it's like, oh, shit, like this whole thing works differently than we thought we did. So one beautiful thing is like having heavenly consciousness. And I don't mean only like meditating on the other dimensions and connecting to the different archetypes of the different sky awareness. <laughs> I mean, laying on your back as a human being and feeling the dew in your flesh and engaging with as much of the sky as you can see and watching how the sky spins, you know, above your face when you're out away from the city lights and just receiving the blessings of the Milky Way as it's meant to be in this human frame and that, right? And allowing that to teach you how this marriage of heaven and earth works you become more earthly like it's weird to me actually when i look up i understand more about what it is down here right so i'm actually in my engagement with the heavens i've oddly become more embodied i mean like a squeaking water bottle thing <laughs> just responded to that statement. quick question so uh, do you, I mean, you're more of a historian, especially with astrological kind of awareness, given that it was um, like when we're talking Vedic and Hellenistic and stuff, it's obviously kind of Northern hemisphere, not, uh, I mean, it's not biased intentionally, but like you were saying, people hadn't necessarily explored Chile or whatever. Um, do you, have you read any discourses between people, like, you know, people who are like, holy shit, like, you know, writing home being like, our models aren't computing, what's going on? Um, is that like a recorded kind of process? How did that work? Well, so let me just say what I hear in that question and make sure I'm checking in from the right place. So, and I'm going to start in, in a different spot. Okay. So you mentioned like Vedic astrology, Indian or Jyotish astrology, and they're not the only ones, but they tend to use a different zodiac. And it's not a tropical zodiac, which is defined by Earth's tropics, where I was at some time ago but rather a sidereal zodiac, which is star-defined, okay? So there's actually three principal zodiac cosmologies in our day and age. One is constellational. That's like the astronomer's zodiac. Like the astronomer's zodiac believe that Scorpio equals the Scorpion constellation, okay? And now the challenge there is if you get down with the constellations of the zodiac, where do they begin? Where do they end? Who gets to define those boundaries? In our day and age, it's the International Astronomical Union <laughs> who just decided to chop constellations up, add new ones, right? And, you know, in 1929, 1930, officially defined the boundaries of the heavens, okay? And that's where this whole Ophiuchus 13th sign thing was born. And that's like a long trip that we don't need to get into, okay? Regardless, some of the zodiac constellations, which I'm just going to use this word that's, you know, that the, they are the constellations that embrace the ecliptic plane, the plane of the Earth-Sun orbital relationship. Some of them are huge. Some of them are tiny. They in no way divide the ecliptic circle of 360 degrees into 12 equal 30 degree signs. There is no way to have a equal sign zodiac that is constellationally mapped. Now the sidereal zodiac, and sidereal means of the stars, it is much more so than the tropical zodiac. In the sidereal cosmology, you pick a star out there and you say, okay, I'm gonna start there and then I'm gonna divide the circle into 12 equal 30 degree slices. 
but you know there's constellations like the priestess i i prefer to say to differentiate constellations and signs than to use the term virgo which i reserve personally for signs but you know the constellation the astronomers call virgo it's like 47 degrees in the ecliptic arc okay a sign is 30 so that's more than a sign and a half the mighty ram right 15 into <laughs> like half a sign so you can never map an equal sign zodiac to the constellations and you're lying if you think you do okay so in the sidereal system which is of the stars it's much more closely configured to the actual constellations than the tropical zodiac is the tropical zodiac and this is a really hard thing for astrologers to embrace because most of them are working with this frankly um not, and I don't mean to use this in a bad way, but ignorant idea of what the tropical zodiac is. They believe that this whole thing is like of the heavens. It's like, you know, what Virgo is, is that the sun is aligned to that Virgo constellation. And it's that constellation out there that's like doing things on earth or whatever. The tropical zodiac actually has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with any star either than our own. The constellations out there just help us see where the signs are in any given time. The signs themselves are defined by Earth and the Earth-Sun relationship. The houses by the spinning of the Earth, the day, the signs by the orbit of the Earth, the year. And that is it. And I'm not in any way suggesting that the constellations, which actually, if you think about it, are earthly. They're not heavenly. Correct. It's from our okay, stars are heavenly, but the way that we connect the dots are simply from the Earth's vantage point. All right? a matter like, of perspective, yeah. Really, like I'm holding up the Orion card here, like this is Beetlejuice. <laughs> you know, what does Orion look like from Beetlejuice? It certainly doesn't look like this hunter in our sky, right? Constellations are actually terrestrial. Stars are celestial. I have no qualms with the riff you just went on for five minutes, which is totally cool. That has nothing to do with the question I asked, which is fine. I guess I was kind of asking historically, um, did you, have you read like accounts of people having Ooh. that mind fuck where they're like, we got to recalibrate the system because I've gone to Chile. Oh, right. Okay. So let me get back to that. I want to say one more thing about this thread because what I heard is this, and, and I think it's important for people to hear, and I've said it with you all before, but I think it's, you know, when we look into this great challenge of, look, your signs are not the signs because they're not constellation aligned, right? So why is the Cancer Sun actually in the constellation of Gemini? And that's a very confusing thing. And I, I spend three weeks in my course with people just on what the heck is the Zodiac? What are the signs? And what are these different points of view? Because the sidereal Zodiac is, you know, it's, it's very relative. It's a celestial zodiac. You pick a star and you just divide the circle into 12 equal signs from there. And it's more constellationally mapped and it remains consistent over the great periods of time as defined by the, the astrological ages or the precession of the equinoxes, Earth's third motion, which is her axis precessing in this grand circle over about 26,000 years. Whereas the tropical zodiac, which is tuned to Earth's tropics, it is directionally aligned. It is tied, as I like to say, to Gaia's spine, which is our spin axis, the world tree, which defines the directions. So we have northern signs, we have southern signs, that the signs themselves move between the Tropic of Cancer and the Tropic of Capricorn. And by the way, that works well on a flat Earth model. 
you just get these like different um, concentric circles of the signs around that like North Pole in the center of the disk. Okay, so before I get to your question that I'm actually now finally hearing, I want to answer this other one. So if the signs, like the tropical signs, like right now we're, you know, Virgo season, the sun has moved into Virgo. If those aren't about the constellations, right? So right now the sun is in the lion constellation. So why isn't that Leo, right? Because again, the tropical zodiac is not about constellations. It's about earth astronomy. And it's about the interface of the planes of year, which is Earth's orbital plane. It's called the ecliptic. It's where the sun lives. So I call it the circle of spirit in the plane of Earth's day. Okay, Earth's day is Earth's rotation. And the plane of that rotation is the equator. The equator and the ecliptic cross at two points that we call the equinox points. So and that those points exist always above Earth's equator. So as the sun moves from Virgo to Libra next month, tropical Libra, it will actually cross Earth's equator. If you're standing on Earth's equator on that day, the sun will be directly overhead, which can never happen in Vienna or Colorado or California, because you can only have that zenith passage of the sun when you're between the tropics. So this is one of the experiences of the global astronomer that helps us understand the marriage of heaven and earth. And this is more aligned to your question, but I want to do one more thing. So if the signs are not constellational, what are they? And there is, the, I will say that they are directional because that for me is a much more global response than the one that you hear from most educated tropical astrologers, which was to say that they are seasonal. So Virgo is the harvest time and Libra is the fall so and like, Scorpio, right? Because the challenge there is like you get to the Southern hemisphere, like people will say that the sun is said to rule the sign of Leo because August is the hottest month. We'll tell that to somebody in Brazil, right? And of course, with flu season being all in the news, and, you know, sorry, the flu doesn't exist anymore, but you know, cold season um, that's going to be different, you know, trigger buttons for the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere. And we'll just get to go back and forth. There will probably actually be people trying to live the eternal and endless summer, not to catch the good surf, but to avoid cold season because they've been so stricken into panic around germs. Right. Anyway, so if we say that the sun rules Leo because it's the hottest time of the year, well, then wouldn't you have to say that the sun rules Aquarius for somebody in Sydney, Australia. And so there have been some models suggested that if indeed the tropical zodiac is a seasonal thing, which is typically how it's taught by astronomers today or astrologers today, and it does have its roots in Western astrology in India, in Egypt, in Greece, in Babylon, in Acadia, in the Middle East, you know, like all Northern hemisphere places, can you, you know, import that to the Southern Hemisphere? Now, first of all, we see it work, so yes. But some astrologers have suggested if it is a seasonal thing, then you need to flip the flow for the Southern Hemisphere. So Scorpio is the middle of fall, and in the Southern Hemisphere, that's going to be May, right? Now, when I say it's directionally defined, all that falls apart. Because North is North anywhere on Earth. 
right? If you, if the three of us face north right now, we will all be facing the North Pole or the center of the disc, if you prefer, right? So the only place where north is not north <laughs> is at the North Pole where it is nowhere because everywhere is south. That's a pretty special place, okay? And the sun is most north when it ingresses tropical cancer. It shines directly above the tropic of cancer. Okay, the moon right now is in Aries. The sun is now in Virgo. These are equinox signs. They're very close to the equator. But tomorrow, the moon will be in Taurus. And then it will be in Gemini. It's on its way north. And you can watch this on your horizons. And people in tropical locations will actually experience the moon passing over their head. Like if you're at the Tropic of Cancer, when the moon ingresses Cancer, it will be directly above your head during the course of that day. Except that in the course of a day, the moon moves 13 degrees. So it's not there for long and the moon can get out of bounds. And I don't want to take that. It's going to go way out of bounds. Okay. So that's to answer a question you did not ask. The tropical zodiac. Record. I mean, is, you just hammered it home more for those of us not paying attention. Or right, right. So the tropical zodiac is the zodiac and it is directionally defined. I suggest, and I will challenge anyone um, or have a wonderful debate with anyone who says that that is not true. Um, okay. But what I hear you asking is, has it been written that the, you know, Greeks got on a boat and went down to South Africa and got around the horn and were like, wait a second, like the sky doesn't work. Yeah. You know, so we can imagine that so much of our understanding of the stars was founded by our explorations of the earth. And especially given that the principal modality for long distance travel back then was maritime, was a boat. And in fact, in the Hellenistic astrology, there is much maritime metaphor. Like the ascendant, for example, was called the rudder, right? The steersman, right? You are both Leo rising. So it said that the sun is your steersman. You are children of the sun. The sun is the Lord of your horoscope. So people these days think horoscope is some newspaper column or maybe as this term also nowadays means a map of the sky. But in Greek, horoskopos means the hour marker or the hour watcher describing people like me standing on top of the ziggurat watching when it's rising and clocking. And, you know, so somebody's born. It's like, here's the rising sign. Right. So but the horoskopos is Greek for rising sign and another term that was used for the ascendant for what was rising on the east in this moment or any moment it was called the oyox or the eakos which means the rudder okay and so both of you were born with leo rising leo rises actually in the northeast i was born with gemini rising and so for the two of you from a traditional point of view the sun is your steersman because leo rising and the sun is said to rule the sign of leo and so one thing that would differentiate you, Jim, what's your sun sign is Gemini. What about you, Raphael? Libra. Okay, so Libra is the third sign from Leo. We go Leo, Virgo, Libra. So you have, Raphael, a Leo rudder with the steersman, the sun, in the third place of communication. Okay, so that's part of your design. 
You are here to learn Leo and to journey into the Leo world with the sun steering you from the realm of Libra. Okay, so how do you learn to be the king while the light is shining the destiny of exploring equality? Okay, so that's a good one. But also it's really like the fire, the light is in this place. Though you were born at night, how do I know? When Leo is rising, Libra has not risen yet. Virgo follows Leo, then Libra. So you were born sometime in the middle of the night, actually, maybe 1 a.m., something like that. Um, and so we would actually Hellenistically say the moon is your sect light. You're a night being. The rules actually change for people born by night than they do for people born by day, which makes sense. Okay. But regardless, the light is shining in this third place. It's so essential for somebody born Leo rising because the, the sun has its hand on your rudder. Okay. But you're going to have to learn Leo by exploring the Libra, the Libra reality. And it really is learning, I would say, your self-divinity by exploring equality. For you, Jim, right, Gemini precedes Leo. Gemini rises, then Cancer rises, then Leo rises. So you're born after sunrise, some four to six hours after sunrise. And the sun is shining in the 11th place of community and groups. So there's an interesting correspondence, at least by modern astrologers, with Gemini and the third, which is where the Libra sun is in the Leo rising map, right? So there's kind of a mix, what we call sinistry for the two of you. But, you know, there's a truth of like, for you, Raphael, I would say it's more about learning to navigate how you communicate your own needs and learning the truth of Oh, deal making and compromise and whatnot in your like path to finding the divine self. And for you, Jim, it's more about communities, groups, and the kind of trickster wind of the Gemini reality of learning all the things and going to explore. The third is also associated with learning. And no doubt, like the two of you, from my experience, are here finding um, all the things like flat earth, concave or convex earth. I don't give a fuck. Like all of it. Yes. I think Raphael is giving equal airtime to multiple views as a Libra, right? And that's equal air, airtime for the air signs. Yes. Here right. we go. That's here we a go. Really beautiful statement. And for Gemini, the same is true. And, and, you know, the groups thing is kind of what's different in the Leo design where Gemini's on the 11th. And so different communities that you'll fall into of different ways of learning. And I mean, you're both doing it in this podcast really well, but I would say, Regardless, those suns, and you are during, born during the day, so the sun is said to be your sect light, and it's kind of a different trip, but they are like really blessed by your exploration of information, of sharing information for both of you, but the point of it is to find Leo, to find the divine self, right? Where I'm Gemini rising, like I'm here to find the way of just, you know, the truth of youth is the way of the light. But I want to say also, like Leo, you're a child of the sun. Well, Christ is the sun and you're a Christian, <laughs> like the kind of true kind of Christian in my point of view. But who am I to say? So I guess I wore this shirt for you. Um, for me, Gemini's on the rise. So my steersman traditionally is said to be Mercury, that Mercury rules the sign of Gemini. And he's about travel and he has kind of Gemini links and Libra links. So that's something that relates to us. But for me, my steersman is in the fifth place of Romance and passion and risk and creativity, gains of chance in, in kids. Um, and, you know, I, I've recently, I'm not a, a biological father, but I've recently kind of stepped into a partial father role for my partner's 
now six-year-old who's amazing and it teaches me so much about my path and remembering how to laugh that's one thing that gemini and leo i would say shares of like you know be young have fun that's the path so and yet i have a scorpio son right so got it gotta go into the dark spaces anyway so that's one of the many places where the maritime metaphor expresses itself in the traditional astrology and i mean if you're a student of the stars you know, there's very few places where that is as necessary as when you're out to sea. But of course, they didn't have like the interstates and the train tracks. Like, so if you're traveling through the desert, you better fucking be able to see your way with the stars in the sky. And if the clouds come to play, you're kind of effed or you got to learn how to hear the breeze or, you know, feel the tides, feel the currents, right? So like, we can learn a lot by the current remembrance of the ancient Polynesian wayfinders who are showing us how to work with stars in really intriguing ways, including that when you change latitude or northern hemisphere to southern hemisphere, that, you know, because they were sailing from Tahiti in the southern hemisphere to Hawaii and back and forth and Samoa and uh, Easter Island and right that you're going to have to know like the stars, the heavens will show you where you are on Earth. But if the clouds come in, you better learn how to read the water. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I, I haven't seen anything specifically written, Jim, to answer the question you actually asked that says, oh, well, was it done. was all flat. And we were that was like all well and good until we went to the southern hemisphere. And I can tell you, like the evidence Copernicus was using um, and the evidence that Galileo was using to defend a heliocentric or sun-centered cosmology, like undoubtedly that's pretty accessible, right? But in the astrological language, for example, the North Node was once called the Ascending Node. And the North Node, the North Lunar Node is where from Earth's point of view, the moon moves from the south of the ecliptic plane to the north of the ecliptic plane. That happens every month. So these nodes, which we often call the dragon's head and the dragon's tail, and the eclipses, which are hosted by the lunar nodes, um, have we have much dragon myth, including like the birth of the sun and the moon in the Greco-Roman tradition of Leto running from the dragon that was chasing her and Apollo late, later shooting an arrow through that dragon's head and, and many other themes, right? We hear so many different Rahu eating the sun, Bakanawa, and I feel you wanting to talk about flat earth, Rahu. Um, but anyway, so so the serpent, like the serpent, the moon snakes above and below the path of the sun every month. But the trip is, okay, look at my hand, right? And I'm going to put my palm. I'm trying to describe this for people who are listening rather than watching. I'm going to raise my right palm above my head. Okay, so what's closer to you, Jim and Raphael, my fingertips or my palm? fingertips in this instance and what's closer to me your palm my palm and so we're looking at the same constellation my hand but for you the fingers are closer to your ground and for me the palm is closer to my ground so when we're looking at the same thing from opposite points of view it flips around now by the way that can still work in the flat earth models right because i could actually walk like so for orion in the northern hemisphere orion points his club up in the Southern Hemisphere, Orion points his club down. 
And so what the flat earth would suggest, mo most of the cosmologists that I've talked to that, you know, are talkable, um, is that all you're doing is you're walking from one side of Orion to the other side of Orion, who's kind of in this fixed position above your head. Okay. So what, what becomes challenging is many things. So like the Zodiac flips upside down from one hemisphere to the other. And as it does, the North node in the Northern hemisphere is where the moon ascends across the sun's path. Now I call that the circle of spirit. And there's many, at least modern astrological paradigms, not my own cosmology, but a very popular one today where the North node is kind of about ascending and where your soul is going and these kinds of things. Okay. Well, the tricky thing is most astrologers who are teaching that don't understand that the North node in the Southern hemisphere is where the moon comes down to earth. It's the descending node. And so what we used to call the ascending node, now we call the North node. Why? Because the Zodiac is a directional thing. And North is North, whether you're standing on Sydney, Australia's beaches or in the Alps in Vienna, right? So, um, but we don't call it the ascending node anymore because for half of the world, it's the descending node. So that's one of the many places where you can see in the evolution of the language of astrology, right? And this is why I'm saying like, learn your astronomy and now you will have an intimate understanding of the measurable, you know, kind of map and terrain of the thing. And then that's going to open new portals of your intimate experience and expression of the immeasurable. So this is for me, point. this is like why we should explore is the earth flat. Because so much of this thing has to do with where you at <laughs> to help understand where we came from and where we're going. That's the whole point of cosmology or geometry, which means measuring the earth. And so much of measuring the earth is tied to how we measure the sky. Yeah. And so I really value, though, typically I feel a pretty kind of trolly experience back and forth between the flat globe people, whatever. Well, and I'll I've just... Done briefly put it down here again i already wrote him and if you are put i would love for you to have a talk even one-on-one -on -one with rodrigo whom we've had on this anthropologist i'm sure on conjunct mercury like he's a smart dude um cool. so it's funny that he's committed to that camp so heavily because he is an academic at that level oh it's not about necessarily being I, I don't know about committed you can talk with him but i i would just love to watch you both you know flesh out some of these things and because you both know quite some detail and can show different examples and I would just love to see, you know, what kind of model, uh, where, you know, the connection points are or, or not. So if you're for up sure. for it, I'd love to connect you. And then I, I will am, wish but I'll just to... say in advance, I will probably bait him into saying some things and then. I gotcha. Oh, I, I think, I think that's um, fine. I think and that, I, you and may both be doing that maybe. <laughs> for us to have that conversation, for me to show any evidence, I will be um, leaning on computer models and that's not evidence, right? So, I mean, we can see like in Stellarium astronomy software, which is a kind of a go-to place for me, that it does reflect my experience of the sky right now. I could switch it to Vienna and it would experience, ex reflect your experience of the sky. And we could get on the phone with somebody who's in the Southern hemisphere and they'd be like, yeah, that's what it is. So we kind of first have to say, okay, like this thing's actually providing a model that's relevant to my embodied physical witness, right? And then say, okay, it's kind of like vetted as a tool for us to have that conversation. Cause I would need to use that in like real time to kind of teach uh, Rodrigo. Is it Rodrigo? Yeah. 
Yeah, the astronomy necessary to defend my principal point, where in my in my feeling is, I mean, I just have never had, I've had a few people who have like, listened to me, take this all the way through, learn some astronomy. Um, and I've never heard anyone say, oh, like the flat earth is, that works in my flat earth model because of this. And again, the only one was like, mirrors in the sky and the person wasn't saying like that they, they believed it they're just like this is the only response or their occam's razor i mean at that level like, well it's gotta be right right so what's more simple that dick cheney um went back in time and put a bunch of mirror systems in the sky to reflect orion so or so i can't remember that i'm a child of god or um the earth is round we're like, what's the problem with that? When well, Mars is round and the heavens and the sun is round and and moon is round and Venus is like the stars appear to be round. They're at, or, you know, at least holes, you know. Oh, well, but I mean, with the stars, just briefly, and actually, I totally want to get to the astrocartography as well, if you're still up for it. But just in terms oh, yeah. of the stars, very interesting. Anyone can look this up. Apparently, with the Canon P900 in particular and maybe some other cameras, like real individuals using real cameras, zooming in really close and what you then see is it almost looks some kind of magnetic configuration super trippy so um that's what yeah, can be observed from so earth cameras if you have an atmosphere and it'd be hard to have a flat earth without an atmosphere too it explains so much of that right and then you can put the camera away and just watch a sunset and see the colors change and i mean you know so a, a thing right is like I mean, I understand like we shouldn't trust anyone, right? I mean, you're not really wired that way. You're a Scorpio. I get it. Totally. And yeah. I'm, you know, have been through my own dark night where I've released my trust in people that I shouldn't trust, right? And, but does that necessitate that I, you know, just because I think that, um, you know, the CDC science is bullshit, <laughs> does that mean all science is bullshit? Or should I at least entertain the models of why, you know, modern science and astronomy suggest the moon turns the color of red during a total lunar eclipse? Like, do I need to throw that away? Or is there actually another thing floating in space, which is a giant red filter, which comes between Earth and the moon and other strange things I've heard suggested, which again, Oxen's razor, it's like so much easier to defend this experience I've had, I've photographed, I've had time lapses of the moon turning red from this, you know, from my window right here, right? And um, like, it's so much easier to describe that through refraction and the bending of light and things that we can do by taking a prism out in the million crystals you have in the room behind you, Raphael or whatever, and sending light through them and seeing how light bends and seeing how we can see the rainbows and spectrums. And, you know, so I think it's important for us to say like, okay, like I'll challenge that. Like we shouldn't marry our beliefs to that. I personally believe the reason why most astronomers teach the earth precesses is wrong. It's like built upon Newton's model, which was based upon a static sun. Like at that point, the sun had become the center of our solar system, which basically helps release so many of the challenges of understanding why planets would retrograde. There are so many bad models which were presented to describe why in the heck Jupiter would appear after marching from one sign to the next to stop 
turn around and go backwards for four months. It's like, what? Like you just, and so people came in with these really beautiful and intricate wheels within wheels cosmologies. And now that we know the sun's the center, it's like, oh no, no, he's retrograde because earth car is passing Jupiter car in space. And we know he's still going forward, but you know, you're going faster. So just like passing a car on the highway, it appears like he's going backwards in the way that Mercury and Venus cycle. Like, it is so elegant and simple and easy to see in a heliocentric or sun-centered cosmology, where in an earth-centered cosmology, you have to invent all of this math that doesn't work. In fact, I would suggest some of the superstition that is like still married to the idea of retrograde planets in astrology is founded in this pain of the intellectual mind can't luck. solve the problem. Yeah. So actually, here's a really cool one. Let me, so maybe the last thing in this cosmological talk. And, and yeah, yeah, I mean, Jim, you called this out earlier. You're like, yeah, this is the Virgo talk. Like, let's get all into the data and the science and like, you know, the facts here, friends, and what can we see and what do we have to interpolate and da, da, da. There's this thing called the axis of evil in astronomy now. Have you tuned into that before? Interesting name, right? Hmm. Post 9-11 kind of. Yeah, and it was and because it's pretty recent, but basically, and you know, I appreciate like that there is a rejection to the idea that I am an insignificant, you know, human being who it'll be lights out when I die. And this was an accidental lightning strike in the primordial soup of an insignificant rock floating around one of hundreds of gazillions of stars. And you just don't matter. I mean, that is the place where many modern astronomy classes kind of begin. How big it is. So how small and significant you are. So make sure you don't have kids because humanity is destroying the earth. And it's Agent Smith describing us as virus and all of the programming that's going to yeah. have people applauding the culling and all of that shit, right? So like, you know, I just want people to hear me. If you haven't heard me out there before, yo, I'm a card carrying Scorpio conspiracy theorist, right? Like I, we usually talk about that shit. However, okay, on the other side of the thing, why can I not be a significant child of God in the light as a grain of sand in an endless beach? Totally, yeah. And so when that is the argument, right, and that, you know, because, so because you know, the challenge with any grand conspiracy theory is why would they do it? And you, the, the most common answer that I've experienced from the Flat Earth camp, and I, I hope that there's many, many answers to that, right? But the most common answer I've heard is to, like, force you to forget how significant you are because you're no longer the center of the universe, okay? So anyway... And I mean, I'm with them. I am like agitated by this idea that we are tiny and significant, which is like the cosmology of most modern quackademic scientists trained astronomers today, right? The astronomers who, by the way, for some reason, don't even know the very elegant and simple astronomy of the tropical zodiac. Even though they begin their calculations of what we call declination and celestial longitude from the same place that we in astrology, tropical astrology, call zero degrees Aries. 
right? So that's one of my favorite responses. People who have studied some astronomy, when people are attacking, oh, your zodiac's fake, it's not aligned to the constellations, I just say, oh, where do you start your um, measurements of celestial longitude from? Where do you start your measurements of declination from? That's where we start our zodiac. And usually they don't know about enough about Earth astronomy because these days, what are they doing? They're extending their gigantic phallic scopes <laughs> to focus on some tiny little piece of space far, far away and long ago to explore where it all began. And that's cool, but you gotta take your eye out of the telescope and lay on your back and see the whole sky if you wanna remember the ancient astronomy. And we should have both points of view. We should have the wide, the gatherer, and the narrow, the hunter right? Space and time, I might say, or at least night and day. Okay. Um, so that I think for me, first and foremost, is a response to like this challenge that I often hear from the flat earth camp is like, no, I can be significant. Now, this is how the astronomers and this whole axis of evil thing were recently awakened. And the reason why I bring this in is I think it supports this point of view that while I can also show you very cool astronomical models of why a retrograde planet would bring challenge or interference. Um, one thing I'll just share is in the middle of a planet's retrograde cycle, it means Earth is closest to that planet. So shouldn't proximity matter? And I would say absolutely yes. Okay. And there's many other places I could go there. But I do also fear that some of the suspicion and fear that's tied to retrograde planets in the zodiac is based upon this fear and superstition and pain of the intelligent mind that couldn't solve the equation because they were working with a geocentric or earth-centered cosmology where you cannot actually easily solve that problem where the heliocentric or sun-centered cosmology does, right? Yeah. So this is for me, this is the same thing for the axis of evil because what's happened is as we've studied the um, uh, cosmic microwave background, right? And this requires highly advanced, you know, sensing equipment basically radio telescopes, but actually microwave telescopes, like different, you know, um, part of the electromagnetic spectrum than the visual thing, okay? That we see, oddly enough, that in this whole expansion of the universe or mapping the universe, that there is like a plane of it. And for some reason, it's the same plane as the ecliptic, which is the plane of our solar system. And long story short, and I encourage people to go research axis of evil as astronomically, okay? I mean, historically too, fuck, especially given what's going on right now. But let's check out the astronomy of that. The Wikipedia article, I think, is actually decent um, if you want to start there. Um, they, the astronomers are scratching their heads to try to understand why this actually makes it look like Earth possibly is at the center of it all or is more significant, at least, you know, that that's, that's a stretch, but that earth is more significant than the cosmology of we are just some speck of sand on a beach of some far away, you know, planet that doesn't matter, whatever, like that whole thing crumbles in this weirdness of why is our solar system's plane concentric with the so-called axis of evil. Why is it called that? Because they can't fucking understand it. They're afraid of it and they deem it evil. Do you see what I mean? And Great. It's a really so much cool for framing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> where even in the modern ball earth, you know, rationalist astronomy, suddenly they have this thing, oh, we're more special than we want to believe we are. <laughs>
Yeah. And so that's kind of a fun thing also to bring to that argument of ball earth equals insignificant. Right now, of course, we can explore the flat earth without having that drive. We should just check out the terrain. And, you know, in astrology, there's a um, challenge of which health system should you use. There's many ways to divide your local sky into houses, which are not about the signs. Actually, there is a sign-based house system called the whole sign system. And there's a lot of argument in the astrological communities about which one's right. Well, I use four in every session, um, at least. <laughs> okay. And depending on what somebody asked me, I'm going to shift back and forth because there's many parts of you. There's a part of you that doesn't have his feet on the ground. There's a system that speaks to that. There's a part of you that's all about your own path. There's a system that speaks to that. There's a part of you that's about how does your path come in alignment with your community's path. There's a system that speaks to that in time. There's a system that speaks to that in space. There's many different parts of you. So why would I try to use one map to try, try, try to express who you are or answer your question, right? So I'm very flexible. And again, wouldn't surprise you to say, if you want to know how to use a house system, learn how it is astronomically defined. And then that is going to show you the cosmology at its roots, which is going to show you its philosophical, spiritual application, right? And so I don't have to have an answer of this is the one and only house system. Because usually people say it's because it's what my teacher taught me and it's like a church. That's an interesting answer. Or right, that's like the worst answer for the three of us. Or it's like, oh, because this is the one that works because you want it to. It's really hard to do an experiment, honestly, isn't it? In fact, quantum, you know, would suggest that the observer is influencing the experiment, which means you are not an observer. And as much as I would like to say I was an honorable, honest, like, you know, scientist in my labs in college and whatnot. I mean, I was always at least subconsciously pushing that thing where I wanted it to go to get the A. So how can I say as an astrologer that I'm not just like seeing what I want to see to confirm what I believe the system suggests I should see? That's a great challenge in all things as a human being, where we are participants in this great experiment of life. And if we can actually put our hands on our heart and be honorable and admit that that is our truth, then we're going to get to a lot more truth. And if we deny that's our reality. Yeah? All right. Well, should we hear a song between now and Astro Maps? It feels like a very different conversation. Well, yeah. and it's also not different. Right. Uh, no, uh, we don't necessarily do uh, those anymore. <laughs> like we used to do commercial breaks or whatever. However you want to put that music breaks. Uh, we haven't been doing that lately. But if you need to go to the bathroom or whatever, we could talk amongst yourselves. Like if you need to take a break, that's totally. Feasible. I need to tell a young lad I love him and I believe in him. Um, <laughs> and so if you would, maybe y'all could take a few minutes to reflect on what the heavens just happened. And I'll be back sure. on the other side. For sure. So, Raphael, um, I'm not even, I'll be honest, I haven't thought about or even contemplated as a reality flat earth for a long time. So it's funny how uh gravitational this conversation so far has been towards that i'm not i mean given the fact that he was even talking about your libra nature kind of um assessing all sides as potentially not equal but like equally informing i guess um what are your thoughts about what he was saying 
it's hard. I, my brain, I disassociate so quickly that it's hard for me to focus a long time on very pragmatic, logical kind of syllogisms or whatever, like points. Like I tend to like just disappear. Uh, like that's why I was kind of asking like, oh, what happens when, you know, uh, the Christian church or whatever starts up down in Chile and they start being like, guys, the skies are different. That, that kind of interests me more, but Hey, my son is in 11th house or whatever. So, um, was there anything that he was saying that made you feel any particular way to me? It just like, on the one hand, I'm very much about exploring potentials, but then some potentials are le uh, less, not interesting isn't the right word, but less reasonable, I guess, kind of what he was arguing. Um, so with the flat earth thing, I'm like, if it's that, if that's the case, we're more fucked than we ever dreamt because we have been told to think a certain way and we're shoved down a certain perspectival thing, but that is so paranoid and conspiratorial that it almost, um, it, it becomes un more incredible for me. Well, I let guess. me just ask in today's time, is it really? Well, I don't, it's tricky. Um, I, it's tricky for me because I think uh, it just is a sun and moon Gemini. Like I'm able to see both arguments in a very particular way, but some things resonate less. Like I've definitely watched videos, I would say on flat earth and things like that, where I'm like, I can see why they're coming to these conclusions given certain presuppositions. So if you're trying to be like, the Bible says this and we have to extrapolate from that, like it's going to come to certain conclusions that kind of answer itself. I remember I was watching a movie with Haley at one point talking about, um, not, I think it was flat Earth, but it was like like the plasma discharge is what's going to be the apocalypse and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, holy shit, right. this makes sense. Like at a level, I was like, I get it. But then at another level, I'm like, it doesn't necessarily meet my experience of reality. But then that begets like, what is the experience of reality? It's tricky because we can get very um, romantic philosophically, I guess you could say, and, and entertain ideas that might. Um, it's it's valuable to entertain all the dwarves, but some dwarves are less important than others. Sleepy, in a sense, is like less informative than Doc. I guess you could say, but they're all equally helpful at a level. It, it's, it's paradoxical. It's hard. Uh, but I didn't know if there was anything he was saying that like, hit you weird or whatever. Well, no, basically, I think, you know, it's great because your whole point is to always investigate all potentialities, you know, and be open minded. And especially what he mentioned last, which was to be aware of one's own model and one's own confirmation bias, in a sense, as much as humanly possible. Right. Um, and aside from that, I could also approach it the other way around, just from everything I've seen coming from NASA, CGI, or even just simple things. You have rockets going high up or NASA footage or whatever, and they just use a lens, which is like a fisheye lens. And I'm like, sorry, this is kind of lame. And then you have a, a, an independently launched rocket, you know, and you can watch it live. They actually have GoPros on the rocket, so you can really watch it spin really fast. It goes up, it goes up. And from what I can tell, the the horizon stays flat you know and i have yeah, no, so the I have answer no... is it doesn't go far but look just because the earth is round and i swear it is that doesn't mean nasa's not lying lying to you no exactly right. it's <laughs> none of those things are mutually exclusive either so i just yeah. think it's highly interesting and just as you mentioned also gemini is these propensities like is it about the significance of the human i can also honestly i don't care it can it can be anything, you know, I will feel equally significant, to be honest. So I'm, I'm not tying it together anyways. I was just mentioning that the thing I like the most, or which is maybe the most important takeaway, is to really investigate all these potentials and models. Always apply Occam's razor, but including the idea, of course, that it would have to explain all observable phenomena and not just some, you know, that's what some, how some people like to use Occam's razor wrongly, I would say. And yeah. then just see what is the most simple explanation that's actually comprehensive. 
And yeah, uh, so aside from that, explanation for me standing here looking out that window or getting on a plane as high as I've gone is that the earth is flat. There's the most simple explanation when I, I was in Maui last week and like looking at the ocean and the ocean comes up to greet my eyes instead of falling away, which it feels like it should if I'm on the ball earth is that the earth is flat. Right. So, again, it's me getting around. It's me watching the sky, which is can absolutely convince me that the simplest model is a ball. But that doesn't mean NASA is not a bunch of Nazis that are lying to me. And just because a rocket's shaped like a, a vaccine doesn't mean I should get one. OK. All right. So let's go into this other world. Um, sure. There was this one other. Oh, so actually, let me start it in this way. So there is an old cosmology, which is the, I mean, it doesn't have to be a flat earth cosmology. Often it's shown even as like, we're standing on this horizon in a globe and egastril, like the world trees growing there or whatever it may be. Um, but that the old astronomical, like general cosmology was here is earth. And then we're surrounded by these heavenly spheres, right? And that's all according to the planetary speed as we watch the planets move through the zodiac, the moon being the fastest of those. So that's one of the moon clearly gives away that she's closest to Earth, at least in the old point of view. There's many cosmologies where that would fall apart. OK, I do want to interrupt that flow and just say this thing. In engineering school, we were required to write our assumptions at the top of the page. And I think that's very much in concert with what I heard you saying yeah. about what most important about yeah. part one of this thing. Right. And I actually do that with like I had a client today where I was like, look, the, you know, th this thing that this issue that you're talking about, like I got that one like presently. And there is no way where I'm going to give you any advice based even upon your astrology chart, which should be unbiased and neutral, like without like bringing the charge of my own experience into like there's no way. Right. So I think sometimes it is healthy actually to state that to a client and say, I'm really charged about I'm really opinionated about this. I've had this experience. This is the way I got out of it. So I think that's the way you should. That's me bringing my trash into this thing. And sometimes I feel like that actually builds trust with my clients. I used to want to be the magician and let me show you who you are. And, and that wonderful thing of astrology is like, how could anybody possibly know that? It's like, what? Right. Like it's just shocking in these many models, you know, like Tarot, even trippier that we can deal the cards and they actually give a really reasonable and perfect. And, you know, if you know how to read like expression of what's happening and what the question is and where we're going. And I mean, it's uncanny. Right. So and then those question, they, they make us question our cosmology if we're flexible enough to grow. Um, but anyway, I, I used to kind of want to just, and even to face my own inner skeptic. I had this dream once, I'll probably share it with you every time we talk, where um, I was like driving past a strip mall that had this huge yellow awning as they, for some reason, tend to, that said psychic. And then next to it, it was when I was like skeptic. And I was like, oh, I shop at both of those stores. And that's okay. In fact, it's probably the, the right way to play. A lot of astrologers are kind of like upset with me. I find that I want to figure out why this thing works and what it is and like what the actual mechanistic thing is. Like, I don't believe it has to be three dimensional, but I also believe that the tides are a thing. And if we can explore how to see tides in the chart, which I've never seen anybody do yet, then we should be able to learn more. And that, that shouldn't offend. There's people who are offended 
by like my quest for this mechanistic thing. And I just want to share this. I believe through, you know, if anybody out here even respects quote unquote science, right? So there is some like quackademic science, Carnegie Institute of Washington science that suggests that our best models of the inner earth, which we just don't know much because we haven't been able to dig far down and it's all just seismic, you know, um, is that perhaps at the center of the earth, there is a regular hexagonal crystal that's 1500 miles in diameter. So a giant hexagon at the center of the earth that's aligned to earth's pole as the tropical zodiac is. And of course, a hexagon has six flats and six points. And those would be the 12 signs of the zodiac. And so as that crystal is orbiting the sun, the sun is just moving from one of those 12 places to the next. And it's that simple. And if you look at Saturn's North Pole, if you believe those are pictures that the robots are sending back to us, you will find a gigantic, a regular hexagon, three times the size of earth. And I would suggest that Saturn just happens to be composed of the right stuff to give us a surface expression of what I feel every planet and probably the stars too has at its core, which is a regular hexagonal crystal like this one in my hand for those of you who are watching this thing uh, rather than just listening. For the rest of you, Imagine your favorite crystal. Okay, um, and actually at Jupiter's South Pole, if you believe the pictures. And some of these ones are actually pictures that we've taken from Earth, if you believe that. But um, they have, there's a regular hexagonal storm pattern at the South Pole of Jupiter. So again, it feels to me that these gas giants, like they are composed of the kind of stuff to reveal on the surface what is at the interior invisible places of all planets, which is this kind of 12 sided structure, which defines the planetary zodiac. And that because it's aligned to the rotational axis of every planet and every planet has its own rotational and orbital paradigm, every planet I believe will have a tropical zodiac. And I'll suggest this because creation creates in 12s and we can hear it in music and we can see it in the geometry like in the seed of life. Um, that, you know, every astronomical, everything is going to have its own Merkaba, if you will. We'll have this 12-ness. And that's, that's what the Zodiac actually is. And for me, the star-based Zodiacs were people tuning into this, like, inner Earth thing, which I also believe the pyramid builders and other ancient high wisdom technologies were based on resonance with this inner Earth thing. And I think when you map that thing to the heavens, because that's how you're experiencing it, it's like, oh, I can tell you that the moon is aligned to one of the particular crystal faces from the inner earth, but I can't see that. However, I can see where the moon is in the stars. And that I can actually observe and then have some kind of, you know, scientific approach. Every month the moon is there and, and this thing happens in the kingdom or queendom or whatever, you know. Um, and so I think that a lot of the history of our astrology is not necessarily accurate, not because we're not sharing what we, what the people of the time were believing, but that they were believing a thing that they were seeing that was an expression of something that they could not see. Okay. Anyway, let's get back to this thing. So the old model earth and then these spheres and it's moon, Mercury, Venus, and then the sun. Right. So Mercury and Venus are called inferior, which means below, or interior, 
okay? And that works in the heliocentric model because they are the planets that are between Earth and the Sun to try to describe some of the strange ways that Mercury and Venus dance in our sky, um, like the Brahe design was that they orbit the Sun while the Sun orbits the Earth and all the other outer or exterior or superior, which means above planets do, which are Mars and Jupiter and Saturn. And that's it. Because if you don't see it, it doesn't exist. <laughs> so Uranus and Neptune and Pluto should not be allowed for um, flat Earth astrologers if they're out there. Okay. Anyway, so the old motto was Earth, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Sun, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, stars, zodiac, God. Okay. And, the, and as you're falling in from the spiritual planes. You know, later the angels had their place in that all. Okay. But as you're kind of coming in through Saturn and you pick up Saturn's sign, and then you head over to Jupiter's sign, you connect that energy, and then through a Mars. Sun. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, with like Plinko or whatever. You're just kind of bouncing through these planetary spheres, connecting into the energy. You know, and obviously I haven't read it written in this way, right? But this is my kind of very modern and liberal translation of what I am reading. It just kind of feels like you fall through these spheres, kind of gathering in the energies that will be in, I would just suggest in agreement with your soul's choice for an evolutionary path in an embodied place where, because there's a heart in the monkey suit, we can feel and feeling opens the gateway to healing, which is knowing, which is growing. And that's the earth game. Where in the old world, it's more like this is you're collecting your fates and your lots, right? This whole idea that like, we should do our chart is super new. It's like a, like hundred years old, right? So it used to be your chart does you, and sorry, or you know respect or whatever. You know, then then there is a whole paradigm of I'm trying. I will transcend my chart. I will escape. You know the lower level karmic ties of this thing which is a prison or you know i mean like literally like 19th 20th century there's astrologers like alan leo who's famous for saying he had transcended his chart dane rudger the humanistic astrologers of kind of the early 20th century in, into the 20th through the 20th century like oh no, no no like your chart is your map it's you go do it it's going to help you understand who you are and you want it. You know, you don't want to run away from it. You want to run into it. Like that's very new. So I'm very much like a student of modern and, and especially actually traditional astrological paradigms at this time in my current quest, but I'm very much a modern evolutionary kind of consciousness, but rooted in this traditional kind of mechanistic paradigm. Okay. And I try to do all the things like astrology is a really wonderful place to deal with the truth that there's many ways, as I say, to pet the cosmic cat. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as she purrs, you know, on time, like it's all good. And sometimes I need to dip into an ancient or a different zodiac or a different house system to make that work. And I'm okay being flexible with it. And I'm also okay being honest about well, maybe I'm just like, if something doesn't work, I go to something that does because I'm afraid to be bad at what I do, you know, <laughs> something like that. Anyway, I really try to like resist that need to be seen as some master. Like for me, that was the old way to kind of claim the client's trust, tell them who they are. And when it's right, then, you know, they will believe everything I say to actually, you know, my first prayer that I say in, in, in 
one-on-one -on -one client sessions or in teachings or today, like heart before chart. So may this actually be a vehicle that, that allows for a bridge for our kind of our psychic sharing and our, you know, um, but why don't I use the truth that I have two ears and one mouth? Okay, well, my second prayer is may the wisdom of this beautiful being speak through me today because I like to talk. And so if I pretend that I'm saying what they're saying through my mouth, then that's okay, right? Anyway, um, so I would say that the Zodiac and the old model Zodiac, you know, God, Zodiac, stars, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, Moon, Earth, that the Zodiac's not out there, but it's here. It's Earth. And it's the last one you choose, right? So... And, you know, Jim, as you come through that plane of, um, I got to get your chart on, on my screen. I'm not going to show you. While you're right. getting it up, I have a quick question. Are there any examples of moments where you, like you were saying, you kind of tried to, um, and I think it's good that you're honest. It's, you are a Gemini rising, um, but where you're like, oh shit, sometimes I'm trying to make the shoe fit. And uh, are there any times that you can be like, oh, I was told this about Jupiter or whatever, and I'm not experiencing that. And I can't reconcile this. Have there ever been any times where you're just like, what the fuck? Oh, hell yeah, man. I mean, gosh, especially recently as I'm studying traditional astrology, right? I mean, there's that kind of the, the worldview it seemed in like the 70s and so held by many of the kind of astrological elders in the community now is that like Western astrology was psychological and that if you want like a predictive thing of how many kids you're going to have and how many kids they will have and that then you go to like Vedic astrology, you go to India, right? This is a great story of when I, of, of, of an astrologer I'm a, I'm a big fan of. And he went to India and he wanted to get the good, like old school Indian. And he like asked around and he finally found his way to the astrologer. And it turned out to be like a Liz Green oriented, modern, like sun sign, psychological astrologer. <laughs> he was just like, fuck, you know what I mean? Hilarious. But anyway, um, yeah, I... We find, as we are now dusting off these ancient texts that, you know, just hadn't been translated or so successfully buried by the church and burned at the stake that we literally have to go, you kind of like through the Persian to the Latin, to the Greek, to who, whatever they were getting after, which is, you know, Egyptian and Indian and something before or whatever. Um, that is, we're like now translating these ancient texts, which is a really new thing. In 1993 was the beginning of Project Hindsight, which is, you know, these three Roberts, as they're called, they were really devoted to creating a kind of like a, a translation, um, you know, crew to reclaim the ancient astrology. And there's a lot of lacunas in the text. And I'll say also, when you read some of this stuff, they're like, um, Hermes said, and it sounds more like a question mark than an exclamation point. I think importantly, like the we can't get to the source of this thing. The source of this thing is the human being's experience as a conduit of the marriage of heaven and earth, as the living tree reaching the branches to the sky and rooting ourselves into the center of our beautiful planet, right? Like that's the root of this thing. The root of this thing is those ancient carvings of moon phases on animal bones from hundreds of thousands of years ago, or the paintings of Lascaux, et cetera, you know? And like in the Hellenistic thing, which look, is born out of, you know, colonialism, frankly, you know, it's like Alexander took Egypt. And I'm told one of the rules was when you sail in from this very melting pot and metropolitan and, you know, multicultural. And if you come in from your land, like you need to hand over your scriptures, right? And they will translate them in the Alexandria library and like give you a copy of them. 
Right. And so like there were these, I think what I've seen in my visions is this was the place uh, a couple thousand years ago where like observational, experiential, sentient astrology, astronomy, astrology went to die because now we had done enough of that, that we had a pretty good, um, not great, not in any way great, like not even Galileo's time, like Galileo has Mercury on his chart off by many degrees, right? Like we didn't have great ephemerides or planetary tables, but they were pretty good enough that we didn't have to be outside all the time tracking these things. And we could be inside looking down, translating the ancient text, frankly, probably the stolen text and creating a code and a set of rules that then we can apply as this kind of like astrological language, which has developed since that time. Right. And however, do you think we have the true Druidic astrology? No, because for them, it was as most initiate systems are, you pass this to the initiate through code, through symbol, through ritual, through word, through song, not through written shit, because if Caesar comes, he will get your goods. He will get your magic. And in fact, before he comes, you're going to actually turn those stone circles off yourself. Do you know what I mean? So that they can't reclaim this power that you use, probably we would like to say for light in a shadow or dark way, right? So a lot of the things that were happening at the source of our astrology is like, you know, these cats like, I, I mean, I don't know. We stole this book from some temple and it seems to suggest, but who's not, who's to say that that very book was written for you to steal so you would get the bad astrology, right? So um, why I'm saying this is the more ancient I go, the more like predictive the model it is. Like, I'll tell you your daddy's job. And sometimes it's nuts and I can use the map too. I mean, I successfully told a client two weeks ago that your father was a prisoner of war in Italy. And it was real. And I don't want to live in that world. <laughs> I don't want to live in a world where I can do that. But I can do that. And the more I study, the more I can do that shit. And we're all just like, oh, wow, like what? You know, and sometimes I'll be like, and your dad was a, you know, movie director, like sleeping with a secretary. Like, no, electrician, totally faithful to my mom his whole life. Right. And so then here's the place, right? Where you're like, oh, but, but it was like this. Or if he had chosen to walk his true evolutionary path, or let me just tell you why I'm right. Right. And so let me tell you who you are instead of ask you, which is just shit counseling, whether you're using astrology or cards or nothing. Right. Because we're with people who want to know more about themselves. So why don't we start with what they already know and stop trying to tell them who they are? And I have watched astrologers again and again and again try to force their delineation onto somebody. So, oh, you were, you know, your dad was like this. No, he wasn't. Oh, so he was like this. No, well, you just didn't see it. Fuck you. Right. And I'm seeing astrologers do that. Why? Because I must do it, right? So that spirit being like, let me show you a huge mirror, something for you to mock, and then remember that I'm showing this to you because this is you, and wake up, child. So make sure you put your assumptions at the top of the page. Do you know what I mean? And one of the great assumptions is that your chart should explain to me who you are. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, and yet it does, and it works. And when I remain heart before chart and I put myself in check and I'm honest about when, because a lot of times in sessions, like it's not about the chart at all. Like the chart is like my entry, but then we're going to have this conversation 
And you know, so you know how it is. You know, both of you all are counselors. Like people need to share. They need to talk. They might have something that they can never tell their husband because he why just this can't. Podcast get exists. It's my sofa, and y'all are my Freud or whatever. At some level, um, it's funny how that works because this wasn't my ever my idea. Raphael was like, "Let's do a podcast." I was like, "Sure." I got questions. Gemini life. Uh, <laughs> you know, he kind of bounced it. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I was just wondering if there was anything. I mean, uh, clearly. Uh, one of my favorite things about you is that you can, you're very verbose. I appreciate that. I don't have to ask a whole lot, um, but I don't want to take up your whole day because <laughs> I know that you have a life to live. Uh, and actually, the more that I think about it, it's like, I'm probably going to be hitting you up for a reading because I'm at a point in my own life where I'm like, uh, I mean, I could, it's one of those things. I don't know if you ever find this kind of almost like blind spotting where I'm like, I can pull cards for you. I can give you advice and all this stuff. But when it comes to personal reflection, I'm, I think it's my Gemini Chiron, quite frankly. It's like, I can't see myself properly. It's like when the mirror turns around, it's really weird. Right. Uh, and you kind of shouldn't, you know what I mean? Like it's really look. you know, you could be the best body worker of all time and you're not going to be able to work out your own sciatica because you can't rub it, dude. And so we should receive healing in the very modalities that we are practitioners of astrologers should i'm sure of it receive many astrology readings right and not only to be like yo what kind of earth are you living on <laughs> you know and do i want to like incorporate any of that into my own thing and let's have a look at ourselves through the eyes of many others you know not just our beloveds right and not just our own cosmology and that kind of thing and because we do have these blind spots like i cannot see the color of my eyes without the mirror called you or at least a mirror on the wall or this video screen or, you know, like famously Alan Watts, you can't bite your own teeth. Right. Like, and so, and this is a beautiful truth of there is no inside with outside and all that stuff, but it's really important to have reflections. And again, like if you're with the right person, like, you know, you're going to actually just hear your own voice spoken through theirs, but in a different way, that's easier to hear. If you want to bypass that or attempt to like record a reading for yourself, record the questions that you have and listen to them, you know, literally go sit in another chair and listen to that other person, that other Jim asking you questions, even, I mean, your Gemini son, like give him a different name, make him a client, maybe even put a different name on the chart and see if that helps. See what I mean? But more importantly, yeah, GeminiBrett.com. You'll find a work with me tab. Come on over. It's, you know, I'm booked out a couple months or whatever. We can try to get you in sooner, brother. But I would, I would love to sit with you and you and I could do a trade because I very much trust your magic. And it's always good for me to reflect and sit with another, you know. Okay. I think that level so, of humility is actually very important. And I'm not going to interrupt you long. Words like that, where um, if we become the pharaohs of our world, we're like, thus saith the Lord. I mean, right now, I, I do think about nodes a lot. It's like the South Nodes and Sag. Um, we shouldn't be self-righteous to the degree. Like we should be open to the interpretation of other people. And it can be, that's one of the more difficult lessons for me because I tend to be like, I think I know it all. I mean, basically I'm like, I see all the perspectives and I might like, you know, like with when Raphael brings up flat earth and stuff, I'm like, I've checked it out. I'm not in that camp. I respect that people have free will and, you know, can see what they want, but it's not, it doesn't hold weight for me. But at some, at some level, that's a, it is what it is. We're egos. I mean, I don't want to get all hyper-spiritual, but it's like we're embodied. We have positions. We have assumptions. We have karma even and or whatever. just very briefly, allow me to bring up the real uh, difference one can recognize, especially when you start talking Gemini Brett, and thank you for it. Jim says he starts dissociating me also a bit. So anyone who wants to understand all the terms properly, 
they should go check out your stuff. But it also just shows like in any area, no matter how you would label it, in your case, let's label it now astrology or astronomy. Just as you pointed out, there's so many different perspectives on it. And there's so many different individuals which with not just unique perspective, but also different degrees of depth into it different awareness of systems and of intricate issues with different systems, you know. So I yeah. think it's just great to really go deep into anything you really want to understand. And if you think you already know, you may want to go even deeper because there may, right. or even just in the holographic nature of reality, there is always something to gain and learn. Even if ultimately it's not something you wholesale accept or whatever, if it is presented to you or if you're excited to be experiencing it there is always something within it that can actually help you in your model even if you don't accept or adopt the other model so that's just Beautiful. incredibly interesting totally. and this and fractal rabbit hole we're on models because right so one way to go deeper is like it initiated into the next level of your religion but another way is look at the most simple thing of your neighbors do you know what I mean? And that is this kind of Gemini approach. By the way, I, I drew this um, lupus constellation, which was for the Greeks, this just like unnamed monster. And the constellation Kentaurus, the centaur, one of the two centaurs, because Sagittarius is the other one, is like spearing this, like what we now see as a wolf in the sky. Uh, but it is cool because you have this kind of like, you know, half animal, half human and many saw Chiron, really the great healer, but Hunter too, as this as this constellation, um, like kind of stabbing the beast and saying, you know, it's kind of like use your tools, use your mind, and that kind of thing. And I feel like that's actually really at the heart of our conversation today. And maybe you know, I feel like it actually comes alive for the three of us usually when we connect. I, I always have really healthy um, integrations after our conversations with one another. Like they, even if I'm just talking too much, I see. You never where talk too much in, in Yeah, my, never. <laughs> cool. Well, I get to see like where I am fixed. And, um, and like, like you said, Jim, currently with the um, South lunar node in the tropical sign of Sagittarius, there's something about, are we being fundamentalist? Right. I mean, your critical race theory, which might feel for you the absolute like release of your fundamentalism. It might be a new church of fundamentalism. It might not. I'm not saying it is. That's up to you. Right. And you know, for me, like the hardest things as an astrologer during the course of these last oh, nine years now, it's like um, the cosmology resets I've had to go through. Some of that has been just from swallow, you know, like swallowing my pride and being humble and realizing, especially early on, but still now people will come in and know things about their chart that I don't, I just don't know. I don't even know the jargon. I don't know the vocabulary. I don't know the words. And, you know, that's always a tricky thing when somebody's kind of going deep into one path to communicate something in a simple way that can actually be received. So especially with the astronomy, you know, it just sounds like a bunch of jibber jabber. Like Jim and I could start talking about, you know, the diminished seventh of the fifth of the fifth and get into all this musical theory. What good is it going to do? And that, you know, and I'm in a place personally where I kind of have this, I have a devotion to help astrologers like re reclaim the astronomical awareness of our craft, not only to defend ourselves against the haters and to preserve something that they are consciously programmed to forget 
Um, but because I, again, feel that when we can have a grounded understanding of the quantity, we can have a more intimate, heartfelt experience and expression of the quality. But there's also a selfish reason. I want friends. I want people, peers. I want people I can talk to. Because as I'm exploring the astronomy, it's taking me to higher and higher levels of what does that mean? I mean, I, my, I have one client today and I went to check out a van. And, and, and you know, I'm going to use some of these astro locational techniques to see if where I checked out that van is in agreement with a good car for me. Like that's how tied I am to these techniques. Okay. But, um, this client had Saturn in the 12th house and which means that Saturn had risen before they were born. However, Saturn had not risen. The chart suggested that was so, but on earth it was not real. And, um, it kind of just, there's, there's a reason for that. There's, I'd have to de teach deep astronomy. She actually was a student who had come through my astronomy course and it gave us a really wonderful opportunity for me to share why this is so, and why had she been born in the Southern hemisphere, it would not be and all these other things. Right. And so we got to kind of review and, and bring some of these teachings into her own chart, which is how we learn this craft anyway. And I would say that that's as true for the astronomy as it is for the astrology. Um, but, you know, my students who are now understanding these things, um, like now we can have a conversation about that. Instead of just like being like, what is this guy talking about? And why did I send him my money? <laughs> you know, so a, a huge part of what we do, and I know, Jim, you know this so well, it's like, know who you're talking to. Know what to say. Know what not to say, because sometimes people aren't ready to hear it, at least the way that you do. Know what not not to say some things must be said even if it's a challenging thing to express but know who you're saying to so you can know how to say it it's funny you say that because uh i had taken a year off on the mayan day at a time last year august whatever 25th i had tripped on acid and i was like i'm not going to do it i'm not going to trip for a year because my fiance is not into that particularly so i was like all right i'll, I'll come halfway let's see if i can be responsible whatever instead of tripping every week uh, so I took off the whole year and then obviously August 25th or whatever happened um, with the first full moon in Aquarius had an amazing transcendent time. Uh, I was listening to certain like Carol on Tuesday, which is an anime on Netflix, which you might dig. It's actually like American Idol on Mars. So it's like super high production quality, but it's like pop. So it's like you might not like it. But anyway, um, crying to all this as within, so without freaking out, getting it all. Um, and then I uh, waited another month or whatever for the second um full moon last week or a few days ago and i ate another half tab but these are like 400 microgram tabs so it's like a 200 microgram trip on a half tab anyway um was listening to daft punk and arcade fire and getting into this position of like gnosis of our uh, creative process as and my brother comes in i'm like coming down because i ate it at like two or three o'clock because i was like i don't want to be up all night it's like eight or nine o'clock and i live on a lake with some mountains in front of me not major 14ers which are more behind me but in front of me is uh, santa isabella national park which is looks kind of like arizona more i guess you could say whereas behind me looks more like tibet my house it's a really interesting valley uh, uh arkansas river valley where i live anyway he's like come down i'm like oh man i'm like um i was actually listening to this guy named jamie who uh, he's coming on the podcast he did a documentary with ram das called becoming nobody really worth scoping that i think it's on gaia um but i illegally watched it however i did anyway the point is he comes in and he's like the moon's rising check this shit out and i come outside and it's like this beautiful huge you know larger than life moon and there's some like kind of wispy clouds moving where it makes me feel like never-ending story fucking bonsai vibes or whatever and i go in because one thing i had done before between listening to discovery and random access memories at 75 percent speed which is really trippy in its own way um and that arcade fire album everything now 
um, was watching this guy. I'll send you a video. His name is Barry Harris, I think, and he's a pianist. And it's just this like old black dude, like ripping open the cosmos. I was like, I see God teaching through and all, all this heavy shit. Anyway, the point of my whole exhortation of this is I went and I gave those pearls to my brother. I was like, check this shit out. I mean, I was in an open place, I was semi-tripping or whatever. And they were eating my brother and his Capricorn stellium uh, girlfriend. Um, are like what the fuck they weren't getting it and the whole point of me saying it is like i very recently realized like you do have uh discernment is key i mean at some point you can't just run into the streets and scream eureka with your epiphanies because it could be mocked not and not taken right which is a lesson in and of itself like how do i deal with you know this kind of stuff because i'm sitting there tripping being like the dog is teaching us how to be look culture is a programming thing you're playing games with them which is a dominance structure this weird tripped out shit i was saying out loud and he's like you are on acid and i'm like yes but what i'm saying isn't untrue it's one of these things a huge digression but the whole point was what you're saying is exactly accurate where it's like we could geek out about music theory and if people aren't initiated past the point it's not a problem at a level and then it is problematic at a level because they're not going to be getting the same experience of the mysterium or whatever anyway that was a total Right. You know, there's a thing that wasn't the point of what you share, but really importantly, just because you're on acid doesn't mean you're not speaking truth. Um, and also just because I'm speaking jargon doesn't mean that the, you know, I'm using this as kind of data, you know, let's say Virgo, like to support the, the philosophy that I want to share. Right. And so the same thing is like, all right, let me study the quantity so I can express the quality. What's most important is to express the quality. And sometimes like I'm of the nature that I, I really want to teach a man to fish instead of give a man a fish. And part of that is like, oh, let me show you like why this thing is a thing. And then I'll show you what, and then we can talk about what it means together. And so, because it's so often, you know, students, clients, what does it mean? It's like, who the fuck am I to tell you what it means? Let me show you why it's a thing. And then you tell me what that means. You see what I mean? And so now I am also being paid to be a counselor and sometimes help people find a surgery date or when to sell the car or all the things, you know, where to move. That's a huge part of like kind of the astro mapping scene, right? Like, you know, is this person right for me? Which, by the way, I answer that question not looking at that person's chart, but the person who's asking me's chart. <laughs> um, and you can see that. Um, but so on that level, I'm going to be professional. I'm going to step up, but I want to do that together instead of as like the wizard with all the answers. I think that's nonsense. And I think it's um, a disempowering paradigm rather than an empowering paradigm, right? Uh, now, sometimes, and you both know this really well, we can be working together even if I'm the one talking the whole time, and that's okay. And sometimes people are hesitant to share. They don't want to go there. Their trust hasn't been earned or whatnot. So I'm going to like paint pictures with them in the psychic realm, and I'll speak about what those are. And the chart really helps facilitate that, you know, artistry together. Um, all right. So anyway, let's get into these maps. So I feel like so we're falling in Saturn, Jupiter or whatever. Okay. And here, actually, the zodiac is closest to Earth. And so like the final thing is like, wait a second. You know, for me, I want Gemini rising. Right. Let me share my screen here. I'll share my chart. Right Now, now you know everything about me. Um, I want Gemini rising. Okay, now there's many house systems, like one of them, and certainly the oldest system, like 99.5% of the Hellenistic, the ancient Western charts, you know, the Egyptian charts for the most part are all what's called a whole sign system. And it's very literal. Personally. What's that? 
I find Holstein resonates more for me, but this, I mean, then I can see the truth of a Placidus or whatever. Right. Um, anyway, it's funny that you said that it's like the older one because I'm like, okay. yeah, I mean, it's my feeling that basically this thing takes the ground out from beneath your feet. Um, not that not that we can't, as we do these days, draw the ascendant and the midheaven, the angles of the chart, like where are they, you know, in the signs and da da da. But importantly, why I want to share this is versus your two charts is because the 10th sign from Gemini, what Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces is Pisces. Okay. So in like the Gemini template, right. And there's, there's 12 different templates. There's the Aries template, the Taurus template, the Gemini template, the Cancer template in our moments of birth where we have these unique geometries. I was saying before that, you know, that's like, um, I can show you just from the way that the moon is reflecting sunlight to earth, that that's a unique thing that will never repeat in its experience in different places in the unique ways. Okay. But when we start adding the other variables, right. Or the other beings in, in Mercury and Venus and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and all the guys, you know, like this is a unique geometry that will absolutely imp- it would never happen again. It would, that is one expression of time, literally how the planets were aligned to the center of Earth, which is the center of a geocentric chart. Right. And that's my crystal. That's my geometry. Like, right. However, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. I now live in California. And before I even do that, okay, let me just do this. Like in the Gemini map, Pisces is the 10th sign. And actually the highest part of the chart, which many astrologers inaccurately teach is the midheaven, is always in the 10th sign. It's always square to speak astrology, the ascendant. So the highest part of my chart's 936 Pisces. It's one of the reasons why I also use the cosmology of what's called the equal sign system. Um, or equal house system, because that's going to show me the highest part of the ecliptic of the zodiac in the moment of my birth, right? This midheaven, as it's called, is also very significant. It's where things start, stop going up and start going down. It's a pivot point, right? So anyway, what I would suggest is kind of I've fallen through this plane of Leo, Saturn, and, and the traditional astrology would say, I'm so sorry. And then Aries, Jupiter, and doing all these things. And then finally, I'm like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Okay, Gemini rising. Um, can you, Jim, see this other chart on the screen now? Okay, so this is a different software which allows different mappings. And one of my favorite maps that this software offers, they call it a zodiac sign map. In presentations I teach, I have this all colored in, and it's a much more beautiful thing. But anyway, and you know, my apologies for the Mercator projection, friends. Anyway, so this zone, which includes Boston, Massachusetts, where I was born, every between, everywhere between this curve where you can see the Gemini glyph and this curve, the Cancer glyph, that was the Gemini rising zone on Earth in the moment of my birth. Okay, so I could have been born just as much in Brazil, where I would be Gemini rising and a Pisces midheaven rather than in Boston, where I was a Gemini rising and an Aquarius midheaven. Okay. And so for me to know in this one unique moment expressed by the geometry of the planets, how they are aligned to one another, really how they are aligned to one another, then to the center of earth and everywhere on the surface of earth, right? For me to experience that as Gemini rising, there's this particular kind of swath of earth 
that I could incarnate on, right? So I'm like, okay, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. I want Gemini rising, bam. And for me to place this specifically in Boston, Massachusetts, I need this degree of the ascendant and this degree of the midheaven. And for me, I'm circling these things, but if you're listening to this in audio, I'll just say I have 10 degrees Gemini rising and 14 degrees Aquarius at the midheaven. And there's only one place on earth where both of those things were happening in this moment of time, right? So that's space. That's a local space. And the strange thing is, unlike the kind of medicine wheel or the perfect cross, we say, you know, the angles of the chart or the cross that you're nailed to in a playful and sometimes not way, um, Pisces squares Gemini, Aquarius does not. My ascendant and my midheaven are actually trine. And so in like the, what I'll call the perfect form or the divine form, and that I think is much better expressed through the equal sign system where the, the top of the chart is perfectly square, the ground, the horizon. Or I, I like to cast charts in what's called a porphyry house system because I know how to subtract 90 degrees from 936 Gemini, it's 936 Pisces. I know the top of the chart. I know that Aquarius, for example, is the ninth sign from Gemini, not the 10th sign. And so I can see whole sign houses. I can see equal sign houses without having to cast those charts. I'm doing all of, I'm doing at least three cosmologies when I gaze at this particular house system. This particular house system is called the Porphyry house system. It's how I personally experience a moment of time when I'm outside with my feet on the ground at night. You know, I think that that's what a chart is. It's an experience of a local, it's a local experience of a moment in space time. And for me, like, this is what I see when I go outside at nighttime. At daytime, it's different. All I see is the sun and you have to tell time with a shadow. Anyway, one of the points I want to make is there's something in this like so-called quadrant house system which defines the quadrants based upon divisions of the astrological angles. And I know just as we talked jargon, now I'm adding a lot of jargon um, that isn't of that perfect form. Well, earth fucking isn't, it just isn't, you know what I mean? Like there are no circular orbits in reality. They are elliptical. I'm sorry if that offends you Kepler, right? Like, we have to deal with the truth that while the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, you might not have an opportunity. You got a mountain to climb with switchbacks and that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? And so on Earth, things get a little bit less defined by the divine, if you will. And we have an earthly self. We actually have many earthly selves. We have an earthly self that's more space-based, one that's more time-based, I believe in my own personal cosmology at this point of my exploration. But we also have this kind of divine template, like before your feet got on the ground and both of you are like, all right, I want the Leo helm. I want the Leo rudder. Like I'm Leo rising. That for me, I like to say what was rising when you rose is rising within you. I see both of you too, because you were born on earth where Leo was rising on the northeastern horizon in the moment of your entrance, that you are students of the Leo Mystery School, that that's what you're here to learn. That's your like direction. For me, Gemini. And there's a 12th of the globe where you could have landed for Leo rising in the moment of your birth. And there's a reason why, you know, in all these places where Gemini was rising in the moment of mine, I chose Boston. 
right? And so that's going to show up in all these different astronomical considerations, right? So one thing we can do in relocation, like I don't live in Boston now, I live in California. California, as the earth spins, it, you know, according to our modern clock cosmology is we're like three hours behind Boston, right? Right now it's 6.19 p.m. where I stand and it's 9.19 p.m. on the eastern seaboard of the United States, according to the modern time zone convention. Say what you will about that, okay? But, and the reason, so like if I relocate this chart, which I'll do for you now, um, just sorting out the screen shares again. So if I'm ever believing I'm screen sharing and I'm not, please let, let me know. Okay. But had I been born, um, not there in Boston and let me show this in this other map. Oh, and sadly I put the software away, but it will open quickly. So let me show you where I'm standing now, which is in the Bay area of California, just North of Oakland in a place called El Sobrante. Um, you can see, and this is definitely for people who are watching the video versus the audio. And I encourage you, if you're listening to this, to for at least this portion of this journey, click watch the video version. The link will be in your comments and all that. Um, here in the Bay Area of California, where I'm circling with my mouse, Pisces was rising when I was born. And so the general idea is because remember before I was saying, look, I'm Gemini rising according to the ancient way. Mercury is my steersman. I'm a child of Mercury. I incarnated in a place in this moment of time where Gemini Mercury sign was on the rise. And so I'm a child of his explorations. And, you know, like Raphael, Leo rising. So the steersman is the sun, but the sun is in Libra. I'm Gemini rising and Mercury, who's the steersman of the Gemini way, is in Libra. So that's something that Raphael and I share. It's like a different planet, right? Because he's Leo rising sun and I'm Gemini rising Mercury, right? So we have these kind of cool ties. I mean, for you, Jim, it's the Gemini sun and I'm Gemini rising and Gemini moon. And that for people who are kind of new to astrology, something we call synastry. And there's many ways to find synastry, not just like, oh, the moon in my chart is right where the sun is in Jim's chart or something like that. Okay. So what would it be if I chose Pisces instead? And the softwares like allow us to just relocate charts pretty easily. I was born at 7.39 p.m. on October 24th, 1975 in Boston, Massachusetts. Well, that's East Coast time. So, and that means in... Um, El Sobrante, California, where I now am, that it was 4.39 p.m. And at 4.39 p.m., unlike in Boston, it's 7.39 p.m. where it was nighttime. And we can see that in a chart because the sun is below the horizon, okay? At 4.39 p.m., it's daytime, right? So I've literally moved from a place on Earth where it was night at the time of my birth to a place where it was day. Shouldn't we expect that to be experienced in a different way energetically? <laughs> and by the way, this is not where I meant to relocate. I went to El Sobrante, Austria, which I imagine does not exist. So <laughs> let me try that again and try for El, El Sobrante, California. You can claim it for Gemini Brett. You can go there and just plant a flag and say, right? Like, this is me. Okay, so let me let me just show this. So yeah, I mean, in the same moment of my entrance, huh? The the software is like messed up for some reason. Dope. Uranus retrograde. 
Do I need to be super? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> this should work. Oh, buttons. <clears throat> okay. This is the exact same moment of my birth, but it's experienced where I now live in El Sobrante, California versus where I was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. And so here, 4.39 p.m., the sun had not yet set. The sun's in the eighth house, depending on your house system. It's in the ninth sign because Scorpio is the ninth sign of Pisces. Um, and in the tradition, a whole sign tradition, therefore, I now live where the sun was rejoicing. Because traditionally, the sun is said to rejoice in the ninth place or the ninth sign. Um, Pisces rising. And traditionally, Pisces is represented by Jupiter modern astrologers like neptune for pisces right so when i go from an old school point of view it's like oh well what's the difference of living where i was born where gemini was rising and mercury is the steersman of that thing to having lived most my life now on the west coast of the united states and many different places where pisces was rising in the same moment should i expect that my journey will be kind of realigned to the signs of time in this space where I now reside. And that's the principal theme of and theory and philosophy of astrolocality, right? It's like, look, the moment's the moment. We're talking, in my case, a Gemini moon reflecting a Scorpio sunlight to Earth. We're talking about Mercury at 1239 Libra and Venus at 1504 Virgo and on and on and on, okay? Um, and interestingly, and I love this, we measure the planets where they are in the signs, not from the surface of the earth where we live and breathe and witness these heavenly happenings, but from the center of the earth. And I, maybe you, probably you, Jim, like I haven't been there. <laughs> and actually the moon is the only one that's close enough to earth for there to be a, a visible distinction of whether we're measuring from Earth's center or Earth's surface. That's called parallax moon. And fascinatingly, most astrologers who, like me, when I first met that thing, said, wait, wouldn't it make more sense for me to measure this from Boston, not from the center of Earth, if that's where I was born? But see, this is as above, so below. Like, we're literally measuring the above, the planets out there, from below my feet in the heart of the Earth, the one place where we all connect. And in true Gemini fashion, I would say look at both. I mean, sometimes if you look at the moon in parallax from different places on Earth, it will actually change signs and all sorts of cool things, okay? But for the most part, the philosophy of astrolocality and relocated charts is like kind of the oldest version of this is the planets are where the planets are in the signs. The signs, as I like to say, are of the center of the Earth, the below, the whole, Right? The, the center of Earth doesn't care that I was born speaking English and Raphael probably seven languages because he's cultured, um, <laughs> you know, whatever. And that, I, like, you know, in India, they have spicy food and in Boston, they don't or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like the center of Earth, we are all one. We are all Earthlings. That is the heart of our planet, the heart of the hexagonal God. crystal of all of us. That's the hexagonal crystal. And inside that crystal, there's only one round sphere or whatever. You know, it's like it is this oneness, this earth place. Yeah. And so that's the planets in the signs. However, the planets in the houses, including is it day or night? 
Day means the sun is above the horizon. In astrology, that's expressed in a, in a quadrant house system as the house is 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Whereas if the sun is below the horizon and the house is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, it's nighttime. Okay. And so all of the planets are going to be in some signs that's in your zodiac and then also in houses. And houses are very much a local experience. So the houses which are defined first and foremost from the rising sign, the cusp of the first house in most systems, right, is completely dependent upon a particular place during this moment in time, this particular moment in time expressed by the geometry of the planets in the signs as they surround the heart of the earth. And that's as much true in Boston, Massachusetts as it is in El Sobrante, California. But the planets in the houses, now that's a very local thing. I mean, most experientially, first and foremost, is are they above the horizon and you can see them, clouds allowing? Or are they below the horizon and you can't see shit? Or are they above the horizon and so is the sun, so all you see is the light? You know what I mean? So that's one of the reasons why I really, like, I want to take somebody astronomically. Like, I think it's powerful to say, oh, Raphael, like, you were born in the night and the sun, it was past the middle of the night, the sun had begun its climb but it had not yet shown that truth yet. The sky stars are out and if clouds allow, like this is what we can see and this is what we can't. Jim, you were born by day and you would really have to close your eyes if you want to know, you know, with your senses where Venus is or something like that, you know, because you can't see through the light. Yeah. Like there's a very significance between day and night. And I really like starting with my clients there. And like, before we go to the heavens, like let's be on earth, let's be here and like just tune into you know, what did the leaves look like or the flowers blooming and all that? But also like, was it day, night, you know, was it afternoon, evening and, and just feeling into the seasons of the day, if you will. Okay. So, I mean, like I've lived most of my life at a place where it was before sunset, though I was born in a place where it was after sunset. And so the philosophy of astrolocality is look like if you move to a place on the surface of earth that was experiencing this moment in time in a certainly different like energetic way, then you should be kind of energetically reconfigured. And then the great question is, okay, how long do you have to stay? I mean, if I just visit a place and touch my toe in the airport on a layaway between, which is actually my only experience of Vienna was the airport, beautiful airport, Raphael, I loved it. Um, you know, but I was between France and Oakland. <laughs> so, or San Francisco, I guess, was that flight. And I was like, ah, have I been to Austria? Not really, because I bought some airport chocolate. Like, I don't think so. You know what I mean? Um, because, you know, my parents gave me a Swiss Army knife. You know, maybe that because I, I spent a lot of time with that thing. Maybe that brought me to Austria. Right. So that's kind of the traveling without moving concept, because I would say, for example, I met my partner on a, um, in Hawaii where in my own astrocartography, it's a, a north node place at the top of the sky. And she's from Romania, where the absolute opposite is true. And in my astro map, and we'll take a peek at this, like it's very much indicated. Let me show this on the screen for those who are watching. In that sense, it doesn't surprise me you keep going back to Hawaii. It's like, of course. like <laughs> Right. And one of my lectures, actually, I just gave a long lecture on a, on a different technique than what's called astrocartography. So I want to start there. And the cool thing is I'm actually showing this. Can you see the map on your screen, Jim? 
Okay, so I'm showing this. I'm going to take some lines away. These are called local space lines, which actually care about the local space, right? So this is this is for the Elsa Bronte, California experience at the moment of my birth. But all astrocartography lines, and those are the lines you're looking at on the screen now. I'm going to um, actually simplify this by just showing you one set of these, okay? So these are the, um, what are called the rising lines or the ascendant lines. So for example, the one that I'm kind of wiggling and tracing with my cursor on the screen that moves through very Northern Canada and through St. John's near St. John's Canada and then down off the coast of Brazil, that's where in the moment of my birth, the moon was rising. Okay. And there's going to be another place or so let me, before I move on from this, just show you where the sun was rising, it was rising in Siberia and like Mongolia and, you know, down, I don't know, not Bangladesh, but kind of Eastern Asia over here. Okay. And where the sun is rising, of course, that's going to differentiate day and night. The other line would be, where is the sun setting? And that's this line. It goes for me, like actually through, um, Oh, the, the Midwest and down through Houston, Texas, and down through Mexico and whatever, right? And so these are called astrocartography lines by most astrogeographers. And they're simply describing where planets were either rising on the horizon or resting into the Western horizon, setting into the Western horizon. Like sunset's going to be a really significant one because that's going to like divide day a, play, a day like a place where the sun has not yet set or night, a place where I had already set. And that for me is a really significant distinction, of course. We can also find places on Earth where planets were culminating, where they were at what we call the midheaven, where they were reaching for that particular planet or point, their highest place, having finished kind of culminating, coming up, and now they're going to start going down. And so this is this line I speak of in Hawaii, where the north node of the moon, in other words, the place where the moon's path crosses the sun's path from south to north, from Earth's point of view, that point we call the north lunar node, we used to call it the ascending lunar node, right? The north lunar node, it was culminating in Hawaii when I was born, and it was anti-culminating in Romania, which is here, right? So amazingly, like, I met and the, the nodes we kind of honor as like um, very significant parts of like soul. I mean, think about it. It's from Earth's point of view where the paths of the moon and the sun cross. In my cosmology, the sun is like the one light of spirit. I actually love an old cosmology that what the stars are are simply holes in the veil. So they're not these nuclear furnaces that here in matter, we need to be shielded from the one light or we will remember we are it and the game's over. But there are these little holes in that shield that where the light shines through and they're called stars and they remind us of what we really are. Basically, it's like, oh, look, I see. Yeah, I see what you're saying. That's it. You, you hold that? I mean, I'm not even scoffing or anything like that, but I'm like, uh, I know. hold that. And I also hold the idea that there's a, you know, fission machine up there, right? Like, like I learned in astronomy yeah. class. I find that to be more inviting as a um, spiritual being trying to know who I am in this world and know who I am beyond this world. And I think, you know, in that cosmology, the sun is the big one because it's the hole that we're closest to. And so all sunlight is, is one light. 
And the thing that actually makes, you know, you, Jim, quote unquote, a Gemini, I don't prefer that kind of vernacular that you are your sun sign, especially if like Raphael and myself, we're born at night. The moon is our sect light. We're children of the moon in that regard. You're the sun being, okay? But, you know, that's just like convenient for newspaper cosmology, right? Or horoscopes now. Measures. We've got to find something for common ground for the... Totally. And, and yet it is only the sun on the chart that will tell me what season you were born in if I know something about where you were born. And so that's the season of the year. And it's only the sun that will tell me about the season of the day, including day or night. But for that, I also need the rising sun, which for me is actually the best local representative of Earth. And I always love to share this, at least in the ball Earth cosmology, the eastern sky rises. Why? Because the Earth is falling in that direction. So we descend into matter to lift the heavens up. And for so much of my own personal cosmology is really tied to that view of the rising sign as like the rising heavens because of the falling earth. Okay, so the sun, you know, so important, obviously a little bit different than Venus right? or, or the moon. Like, you know, it's not like the ancients wouldn't have known that, though they were not certainly, they certainly were not sun sign astrologers. And probably some of like the sun sign addiction of modern astrology started with the reclamation of a heliocentric or sun-centered cosmology. Okay. But why the sun was in Gemini when you were born, Jim, and, and Libra when you were born, Raphael, and in, in um, Scorpio when I was born, I think it has shit to do with the sun. It's about the earth. Right. Like for me, the sun was just playing that note called Scorpio, which is one of these flats on the crystal. Of the center of earth in a sense you're kind of looking at it when the tire hits the road kind of thing yeah um, like we're falling into a particular thing and at that exact point uh i don't want to get all woo and sound stupid but it's like a hyperdimensional kind of shift is happening where it's like you know you see like the road runner running and then like he touches the ground actually that's kind of what the rising or the sun sign is Oh, no, the rising sign is, is what you're saying. Well, they're both in different ways. Like the rising sign is the result of the earth spinning. And then the sun sign is the result of the earth orbiting. Okay. Right. Because, you know, at least in heliocentric cosmology, we know actually the earth and the sun are orbiting one another. But according to modern astronomy, the sun is so much more massive. You know, it's basically the earth orbiting the sun. And so if the earth actually at its heart has this like hexagonal crystal or all that means it's like a 12 sided shape, a dodecagonal shape, just color each of those things a different color and have it pointed in the same direction as it orbits the sun. You're going to find that the sun's moving, you know, in different through the different colors during the course of the year, which is the earth orbiting the sun. And I would say Jupiter has his own crystal and Saturn and all that. Right. But they, where they are in space in their own orbit about the sun, they will also be on one of the colors of Earth's crystal, right? So Jupiter's now in Aquarius, like, you know, that has to do actually with directionally, and this is like real astronomy, the, all crystals aside, the Jupiter is now southwest of Earth as defined by what? Earth's rotational axis, which itself literally defines the directions. Like it's very simple astronomy, actually. It's confusing if you haven't been initiated, and that's my job to initiate, to help people initiate themselves into these mysteries. Okay. But anyway, you know, the Scorpio sun, why? Because Earth, because Earth in her orbit of the sun was in that time when we say the sun is in Scorpio. 
for you, the sun in Gemini, for Raphael, the sun in Libra, for somebody listening right now, the sun in Virgo, as it is today. Happy birthday. Okay. Um, and why birthday? Earth Day, right? For you, because the arrangement of Earth and Sun, which is an annual thing, annual Anu, the Sun, has repeated your solar return for those who are now in birthday time, which in astrology we call the solar return because the sun has returned to the same place in Earth's zodiac. Why? Because Earth is in the same orbital position or yearly position of the sun. Have you ever okay. corresponded the um, kind of hexagonal kind of multi-plane intersection stuff with color theory or almost cymatics? I'm seeing it almost like that, where it's like you have planes. For sure. Things. So I'm doing it musically yeah, exactly. and actually um, I, with my dear friend, Eric Deutsch, who's just a master pianist working with a simple system I create and also very much some symbolic channeling and focus on certain, oh, aspect groups within your know, person's geometry will create these production notes for Eric. And then he creates a 12 minute piano song of their soul, we call it. So y'all, if you're interested in that, friends, you can find out more about and hear some examples by going to GeminiBrett.com, Twin T's and Brett, um, and go to the Work With Me page and you can read about Song of the Soul. So I do also fascinate it from a color wheel model, and most color wheels will actually show this kind of 12-ness. Uh, and for very like real in this world, physical world, like reasons, just as we can also divide an octave into 12s for like natural reasons it's not the only way to do it i'll say creation creates in 12 so yeah i'm like kind of like the color is my next initiation it has been done um there is like many different models musical models and color models. you know scottish tartans or whatever where it's like look you're gonna have certain intersections of reality tunnels and when you do that it's going to i mean that's why i think cymatics is like it's funny because I, I can't really explain what I'm trying to see, but it sounds like you're doing that and it seems like a very practical. Yeah, so dig in, this, so dig in this Kepler chart that just came up. See the colors for the signs? It's not. Is there a, do you see my mouse like circling Pisces on the screen? You're not sharing your screen right now. Oh, okay. Let me share my screen. Um, you see, so this is like one of the models that folks use. I think actually in the Astro Gold, they let me show different um, wheel styles. I'll just do like, um, oh, this will probably do it. Oh, no, it doesn't because in my settings, I like turned off all the rainbow colors that they use. Anyway, yeah, there, there, are, there are different... Um, like color maps that have been used. And to answer your question, I have not done it yet. I've like, I'm waiting for that dream to arrive. Um, I know it's going to be a huge advancement of my own kind of choice to find more embodied and sentient and, you know, sense-based experiences of astrology. So it's not just some intellectual thing and the astronomy and the geometry and the harmony, like that's all part of it. And the color will be a significant part of it, but um, like I, I think, I, you know, I haven't developed that personal awareness because I haven't yet been a painter or learned how to make colors and things like that. And I'm just not one to believe anything anyone else is doing. Right. And so I'm like trying to relax that. But that's basically born. And I was raised in a school that taught me my craft is bullshit. And so why should I trust any teacher? Right. Also, like, you know, 
my president knows what's best for my health. <laughs> right? So it's fucking laughable. So why should I believe any teacher? How do I know they're not lying to me and all that stuff? And I need to believe what I can see with my own eyes. And we circle back to the flat earth and all that. Anyway, so one principal significance, like I'll just use myself as an example of California where I live versus um, Boston where I was born is that in Boston, Gemini was rising. And in the same moment of time, like a little bit later, it's the same moment of time, but as the earth spins, the earth spins, if you believe in the globe, from the west to the east, which is why on earth we experience the heavens moving from the east to the west and why the sun rises in Boston before it rises in California or always on the eastern side of a continent before the western side, right? That's like the ball earth cosmology. Earth is spinning west to east, so the heavens rise in the east and set in the west, right? So I'm not moving through time because remember, I changed it from 7.39 p.m. Eastern to 4.39 p.m. West Coast, right? It's like the same moment of Location time. differentiation. Yeah. Right, but like the earth had not spun out of the light, like the, the California, had not yet spun out of the light and into the darkness, right? So remember in the ball earth cosmology, the sun is actually rising and setting because the earth spins. Sirius is rising and setting because the earth spins, right? The heavens are actually a reflection of earth's motions. Now the planets, they have their own motions and that's, you know, it's a long story, but this is kind of like as above, so below, like we experience the heavens moving because of Earth's motions. That's like at the heart of like the ball Earth theory. You could do flat Earth theories where that's true too. Most of the flat Earth theories work with the sky spinning about like a kind of a static Earth. But you could also do a flat Earth that's spinning like a record. And that's why the heavens spin just as easily, right? But I mean, those are, they open portals for fundamentally different cosmologies and we ought to do both. It, right? Is the heaven spinning about me or the heaven spinning because I'm spinning in my experience of that just as, as if I spin in a circle right here, I'm going to see that plant rise and set. Right? Or is it that that plant just did a circle around me? I don't know. Like, why not yeah. consider both? It's relativity. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, just one principal situation from a Hellenistic point of view, this is old astrology, and it actually this was lost for thousands of years. Like it's different if you're born by day than if you're born by night. We use different rules. And some charts are better situated using the old rules to be a day birth. And you, maybe you were born on the night side. So what if you relocate to the day side? Will that make your chart like work in a better way for you? Right. Question, not an answer. Okay. But so when I bring this back and share my astrocartography map, um, one thing you'll see is that the West Coast is indicated by, uh, is the map on the screen, Jim? Yes. Okay, so see this like blonde dash line that's going down through Seattle where I lived more years than anywhere else in my life so far, right down through the Bay Area. That's where, and you can see it in the chart, where the moon was anti-culminating, okay, at what we call the IC, which is the initials for Latin Imoncelli, which means the bottom of the heavens. Okay, so let's just talk very importantly in a brief and kind of understandable way about the four angles of an astrology chart. And they are the ascendant, what is ascending in the east. Now again, ball earth, that's because the earth is falling in that direction. 
And I love that. And I always follow that with we descend into matter to lift the heavens up. Okay. Like that's the gig here. And it's that's why the ascendant is the gig. Right. But so after things rise, like just think about the sunrise, what's going to happen next? It's coming up to reach. So that's my word for what's called the midheaven, where the sun every day will find its midday height halfway between sunrise and sunset. And the kentron, and to use the old Greek word, which means pivot of the midheaven or the MC, the middle of the heavens, is where the sun now stops, stops going up and starts coming down to the descendant on the western horizon where it now goes from above ground to below ground. But in a ball earth cosmology, it's still going down until in the middle of the night, literally technical midnight, halfway between sunset and sunrest or sunrise, the sun will root down below. And it is there in the middle of the night where the sun begins its daily climb. So it's a really weird thing that we begin our days in the middle of the night, right? In modern cosmos, like, anybody, anybody question that shit? <laughs> like, what, what? Doesn't it make a lot more sense to begin your day at sunrise when we have evidence of the sun, right? And many of us will wake up with the rising sun, especially as we get a little wiser and whatnot. But anyway, actually the sun in ball earth, spinning earth cosmology begins its daily climb in the middle of the night. We have evidence of that at the ascendant. So the pivot of the ascendant, which is the rise, is the sun still coming up is now above the ground. At the midheaven, which I call the reach, the sun stops going up and starts going down. And there's some time, which is called the ninth, eighth, and seventh houses, where the sun is going down visibly above ground and then it sets, I call the west the rest. And in the sixth, fifth, and fourth houses, it's still going down, but we can't see that happening. It's down below ground. It's visible at day on the other side of the earth. Right? So I like to call these the rise, the reach, the rest, and the roots. And if you're watching the video version of this, you're seeing me spin around in a clockwise circle, which we used to call sunwise, because this is the motion of the sun through the northern hemisphere sky or the motion of the shadow of a sundial opposite to the sun. And that's where clocks come from. Okay. So what an astrocartography map does is it says, look, these places, these pivot points, just like when a planet changes signs or moves from direct to retrograde, changing directions. It's about changes. And these are really significant change places. We're going literally, if we follow the sun, from night to day, from no sun, and now you can see it. From sun climb to sun decline, right? Midday. From sun visible day to sun invisible below the ground night. From sun going down somewhere we can never see in the duot, the underworld, right, to now the sun coming up. And that's also true for the moon. The moon rises and reaches and rests and roots every day. Why? From a spinning Earth cosmology? Because the Earth spins. So the heavens spin. Mercury rise, reach, rest, root. Venus rise, reach, rest, root. And the idea, and we've seen this in the tradition since way back in the day, um, and in some of the 
scientific statistical astrology like the Gauklin research, which suggests that if Mars is rising or reaching at the midheaven, people are more statistically like it's statistically abnormal to see that more Olympian athletes have that configuration. Right. So this is some of the kind of modern research that's tried to support the idea of astrology from, uh, you know, evidence based research and what people are and do. All right, so we've seen for a long time that so-called angular planets, planets at the pivots are a big deal. And that's what an uh, astrocartography map does. It says, okay, like, cool, when I was born, pretty close to where the moon was rising, I've now moved to where, if I rewind the earth, the moon was at the roots. And that can feel like home. So in an astrology chart or a relocated chart. On the West Coast. It looks like this, right? But if we move a few hours ahead in time, the moon is going to move from the roots where it starts coming up. And so let me move back to um, Boston where I was born. And the moon's in the first house about to rise. And the moon, you know, modern astrology actually kind of associates with the IC or the bottom of the chart. There's a different kind of point of view from the tradition, but the moon very much feels like, you know, nurturing, restful home. These are different moon words. And those are words we use for the IC as well. It's like down below the ground. The sun is there in the middle of the night when we should be dreaming and resting. And so it's kind of hard for me to leave this moon at the IC realm because it feels like home. Now, I mean, if politics keep going the way they are, you know, but my own like living and interestingly family situation associated with the moon actually is going to keep me here anyway. So I just got to deal with it and then try to do that Gemini moon thing, right. Of living, you know, in a place I feel like I shouldn't be because I am supposed to be here and all that. Yeah. So one of the things these astrocartography maps do um, are they show us these kind of power places on earth. And I can look at this map and I can actually see that this is the moon at the IC line. Most of the softwares would let me kind of click that. And it's going to give me a delineation of what it means for the moon to be at that angle. This is ideal if you're entering a phase in your life, which calls for security, privacy, and comfort, da, 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 da. Well, I have my moon in Gemini. Retiring. Right. Yeah. Family. But the reason why I actually moved here was to, I, I left Vegas where I grew up on this Mars IC line, which is interesting because I really experienced that Martian separation, like in my parental relationship, I have Mars and cancer. So that can be separations in family among many other things. But I moved from there and in some ways to get away from that to California. Um, and, but why to attend high school? And I have the moon in Gemini. So I was like, well, let's go learn, learn there. Do you see what I mean? And so we just like an astrology chart, like, be, you know, go check out your chart and the computer programs and let them tell you who you are. But don't trust that shit. Right. Like because there's so many intricacies of the art that really require somebody who's not just looking at one variable, but that can tune into the whole equation. And of course, it's not just math either. It's art. Yeah. And so you got to be careful in these like maps online, just as much as like computer transmissions of your chart for it to say that, oh, Jupiter is the best. Venus equals love, you know, Saturn equals difficulty. Pluto equals death. Kennedy was assassinated on his Pluto line. Like that's an example you hear all the time. It really depends on what those planets do in your own personal chart. And also how in this kind of current phase of your life, you are doing them 
or they are doing you. And sometimes you move to these places to be initiated, like these parts of your chart can come alive in their own ways, right? Right. So, yeah, I mean, we can see a lot of really cool examples as we look around. And Jim, I know you had a few in yours. So is it cool if I share your yeah, chart for your map? Yeah, and I mean, you can be as verbose or as brief as you prefer, but um, I'm kind of wondering if you can give us like what you just did. Uh, I mean, I want people to know that getting a reading from you is important, so I don't want you just to give us all the pearls. Um, but kind of just like drive through the whole astro thing. Um, if you look at those images, I mean, I was on, this is obviously just shows my ignorance and I don't care how much I'm a Gemini, I'm a kid, it's whatever. But I was always like, oh my God, is my like fortress of solitude up in the Arctic where all these, like Siberia, where all these lines are intersecting. If I go there, I'll become an Akira fucking God or, you know, whatever. Um, if you could just right. Uh, so let me show share that in a chart, and actually I'll share is my the chart's on the screen again, yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, let me go to this other program where I had that like zodiac sign map, um, because it's it's like a little cleaner and to be able to see this here. What you're going to see is all of the points converge mm -hmm. in two yeah, places, like, like the secret place. <laughs> like my well, it's always at the Arctic Circle and the Antarctic Circle. Because of a globe model. Now I'm starting Which to is a latitude of 66.6. .6. I mean, I could do that on the flat earth model too. Actually. It's, a lot, it's harder to do. Like I, I, it would be fun to like, if we do have that conversation of a globy and a flatter or whatever, um, oh, to, for me to kind of show the flat earth zodiac, right? Because I've kind of, you know, so many, by the way, like many astrologers will be angry at me that like i have like astrological friends who are like why are you wasting your time? entertain them <laughs> why, why are you entertaining that da, da, da? Like, you have well, to stick to the dogma of the church exactly. <laughs> no matter which one <laughs> and if you bring that up they're like that's not what it's about da, da, da. <laughs> it's like, i've done podcasts where i'm like oh and this is why i love it and this and it's like no what don't love it you know like we, we're here to have you on to like break that thing apart and, you know it's like oh I'm not going to do it by not, you know, honoring it and seeing how it's intriguing and seeing how it's challenging. I mean, so like I've created the Zodiac, like how astrology works in that flat kind of disc model. Mm -hmm. um, the concave model, actually, where, the way I'm seeing that when I just hear that word, I studied it, as you know, but I could even see it more because it has this kind of like shape and it's climbing and sinking and that kind of thing. The, the flat thing on that level could actually work better. Uh, the Aries circle is the same as the Virgo circle. And let me just leave that there for now. And in, in astrology, regardless of globe or flat, like that's called Antisha or Antischia, signs that cast the same length of shadow. Um, but that like it, it, it's, it's very easy actually to do the Zodiac, which is visible from everywhere on Earth. Well, that's bullshit. Everywhere between the Arctic circles. Um it's easy to do that in the flat earth cosmology. What happens is when I look beyond the Zodiac, right? Like I was just in Hawaii, I see a bunch of stars I can't see here, but I can still see the North star. But if I was able to go to Tahiti and they wouldn't have me, <laughs> right? Um, then I would have been in a place where the North star goes away and like the South center shows up and that's where things shift. And that's interesting too. Like, so I've had some students, you can see these lists of like where the stars exist in the Zodiac. And so I always like, you know, hey, show me what your rising sign star is. Okay. And um, like for both of you, Regulus was about to rise when you were born, but had not risen yet. And so there's some stars like in the lion's head that was on the horizon. I might go with that, something I could see. Right. So I've had Southern Hemisphere students be like, oh, it's Polaris. Well, the issue is that's the North Star. 
And though I can draw a line from that star very far away to the ecliptic plane, just as like I can say, I'm looking at the North Star, I can draw a line down to the horizon and say that's north on the ground here, right? Like if it never rises where you were born, can it be your rising star? Okay. So I feel like maybe we should do this as part one of this thing and then do a part two where we get a little more technical, right? <laughs> this was just the that. introduction. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't <laughs> say more technical, just more mappy. Um, but let's um, let's let's tune in, Jim, to your chart. And so no, I just want to release you from this idea that you're destined to live at that place where all the lines converge, because it's always going to be at the Arctic Circle, which right. interestingly, by the way, has a latitude of sixty-six point six, and for some reason, nobody's talking about that. Anyway, so let me get. Um, well, you are paid. just, and I think it's funny because um, up on the top of this chat it says Gemini Brett Virgo season nine nine nine, which is the flip of that six six point six. Oh, uh, interesting. But hey, sinks abound. Yeah, and we started talking about that Cancer glyph, which has that sixty nine vibe to it in the Chariot card, and that yeah. I'm actually really happy that you told me that um, glyph etymology because whenever I give readings. And I mean, maybe there's a truth to this or not, but I've always been like, Cancer's the mother, Capricorn's the father, and like a like almost like that um, Paul Simon like chicken and egg reunion or whatever. It's like the mother holds the baby, and it's kind of a cradling effect. Now that's me. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, it's a little less scientifically accurate than yours. Well, um, but what one's gonna what's once one's gonna be more important to the person you're speaking to? You know what I mean? So like. I don't need to get all astronomical and define those things in, in session. Like I want to speak to the person's heart, not to their brain as much. Right. But I also like to explore, like I have a whole lecture I give of the sacred astronomy embedded in the glyphs that we use to depict the signs, um, because that will help me understand where we're rooted, like what the true kind of hidden history of this craft is. Yeah. I never heard that. And I mean, I'm interested in me see neither. It. All those things but now that you said the gemini um you know vertical versus the cancer horizontal i'm like it's obviously right there there it is um mm. so it's funny how i'll give works. you one more the aries glyph okay if you go especially at the equator it's easiest to see but and you know where you're like there you're 40 degrees latitude you just have to tilt your your head 40 degrees and you see it the mm -hmm. eastern sky at the equator stars that rise to the um north of the east head to the north and then stars that rise to the south of these head to the south. And like literally the sky makes the Aries glyph. Like and like the sense. horns of a ram, it then curls around and sets behind you like this. If you take the ground away, it's doing the Pisces glyph with the horizontal line as the horizon. Mm. And so we see these ram heads like way before what we think is the birth of like the tropical zodiac and the, and the ram constellation or the sidereal constellational zodiac too. The reason why the ram is because zero Aries is literally due east from the center of the earth as defined by Gaia's spine. In the heavens, in the east, rise like the horns of the ram, the fountain of youth. It has nothing to do, I'm sure, of that constellation, which looks nothing like that glyph or whatever. Right. That because the sky works that way in the east, and at that time, that constellation itself was aligned to earth global east, they were like, oh, make that thing the ram. That's and this is in stark contrast to the taught history. 
which is it started with the constellations and then people got into the tropical thing. I believe they define the constellations based on their energetic experience of the crystal at the core. They can't see it. We can't see it. Okay. And then it's actually, for me, it's a tropical mechanism. And I also work with the stars. I work with the constellations in a huge way that tends to get a little bit more mythical with my clients. Like my clients, we start in the chart, but then we'll be over in the kind of stellarium and the astronomical point of view in a big way. Okay. And you know, that's a cool thing too. So we see it in your chart, Jim, let me share the screen. Oh, da, 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 da. oh I missed that button when I hear this. Do screen share. Cause we don't see it. Yeah. So your charts on the screen now, right? Correct. Mundo. All right. So we see a few interesting things at, at the, at the ascendant, there's nothing. Leo's rising. Okay. But at the mid heaven, the North node of the moon is culminated. And it's not exact. It's a degree and a half away. It's about to culminate. It's what that's called angular. Okay. Venus is close to up there too, but it's certainly nodal. Okay. So what I have in Hawaii with the North node at the midheaven, you were born with it. Okay. And I'll just say part of your job is aligned to align to the world soul. So let me just like offer that as like a little delineation. Keep doing drugs, man. So I we could unpack that another time. Now, now that Jupiter is in Aquarius square to the nodes and Saturn's at the south node, you're really going to have to do some of what we're doing today, which is like the kind of optimistic, like um, ascensional science versus like the challenge in the, of the authentic like structures of reality. And that that's going to be part of like the push and pull of you that's here to help you grow. OK, so just, I mean, just like as a mini delineation and who am I to say? Anyway, we also see Jupiter close to the descendant, but not that close. Which I always think I'm going to, I mean, my interpretation of this was like, I'm going to die like a mad scientist, like the descendants towards the end of my life or whatever. I'm like, I'll be Rick by the end of it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Jupiter's cool for you and he's connected to the moon and to the nodes and to Uranus and all these fascinating things, right? Anyway, so, but the astrocartography map for your birthplace is going to show us more than anything that you're at a node line, the north node at the MC and the south node, always opposite at the IC. Mm -hmm. North node at the reach, south node at the roots. And that Saturn's close to the roots and that Jupiter's close to the rest, the descendant. And that Venus is also close to the midheaven. So let's cast the map. Summit, New Jersey. I'll zoom in a little bit. I'll push a button that actually is a very different astrological technique in mapping called local space. And it will just show us exactly where on the map you were right, right. I've seen that too. where all these lines are emanating from. And um, what we see is what the North node at the midheaven, that's this vertical filled in line. The South node is also at the IC. Saturn at the IC is close by that Saturn close to your IC in your chart. Venus is close to the midheaven, right? And Jupiter, that's this line here is close to the descendant. Okay. So we zoom out and we can see that all these things are converging up here at the Arctic Circle and down here at the Antarctic Circle. I can push this magic button called Zodiacal and now they will be perfect places where everything converge, by the way. And that's true, I will say, in spirit, but in Mundo of the world of the Earth, things are a little bit sloppier, as you can see. And there's no single place where everything converges. And by the way, those are places where everything's kind of like rising at the same time or setting at the same time and it's a really really long story 
But let's talk about some places that have been powerful for you. I mean, interestingly, Colorado, which is where you lived when you and I met, and I know you've kind of left and come back and all that, but you certainly have deep connection there. Like, it's not indicated on this map, is it? No. And I don't feel like it's home at all. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm always a visitor here, quite frankly. But um, depending on the things on the Astro, um, whatever. Well, but dig in local space, your Mars, yeah. your Neptune, your Mercury all go there. This is a really powerful technique. And I mentioned earlier, and I hate to like sell tickets for another conversation, but I, I kind of mentioned earlier that I would show like the most mind blowing example of oh, yeah, no, astrology ever <laughs> in regards to 9-11. And I'll show you another example, which is um, the discovery of Neptune, one kind of in the darkness and one, if you will, like in the light. Um, but that will just blow your mind. And they don't use the um, astrocartography. They use this other thing called local space. So I'll just say really quickly, and maybe I'll say this in words, but not show it today. But astrocartography is showing us on the globe, uh, sorry, on the convex disk, um, where planets were either rising, reaching, resting, or rooting. Okay, now there's a difference between where the planet was actually doing that. That's called in mundo. And where the degree of the zodiac that the planet projects to was doing that, it's called zodiacal or in zodiaco. And there's a lot of ancient techniques that have that distinction too. Because the truth is that planets do not live on the ecliptic. We project them to the ecliptic, the Earth-Sun orbital thing. That's the one ring that rules them all. Okay, that's like a long story too. But local space, it's more intriguing. The sun is right there. Can you see the sun? It seems like you can see the sun from where you are. Oh, uh, no, Gap. that's my light. It's it's now... Uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> and Raphael, the sun has not risen yet, so you couldn't do this, except you're like an angel being, and you could probably just open your heart and feel exactly where the sun is. But if we all face the sun right now, we're actually facing the same place on Earth, which is where the sun is directly overhead. I see what you're saying, yeah. Now, dig this one. Anywhere I turn, I'm facing the opposite side of the globe. Okay, like that's very real. So in these local space lines, let me show your local space lines, Jim. And I don't know if you've explored this much. Um, I'm going to take the astrocartography lines away and just show you local space. <clears throat> this is like literally, okay, so when you're born, the sun is up here in the 11th house, which is in the southeast, okay? Mm -hmm. If I held you, can you see the map on your screen? Yes. Okay, if I held you in the direction of the sun, I would be holding you in the southeasterly direction. And it's this one, actually. So we call this your sun line. Now, at astro.com, you can go to um, Astro Click Local Space and there are free horoscopes. And you can see this and you can zoom all the way in. I mean, it looks like a lot of lines are pointing to New York City, which I imagine as a musician, you've spent some time or just oh, as a partying oh, kid. And, um, oh, well, Central Park as a kid, yeah. Well, it's funny because even uh, like in Switzerland, I was in this particular valley and there was a sun line going through it where it's like everyone sees you as yourself and you feel good. And it was like, actually, I spent a year there and I felt like I, this is where it gets tricky to me because I don't know how to interpret the roadmap. But when I start amateurly doing it, it's like, yeah, I mean, I don't remember how I was doing it. Well, I mean, think about that. You were there. You have a Gemini sun. And by the way, so that, that's not in this map. So let's bring in some right. of your astrocartography lines. Right. So this is. In Switzerland, um, I don't see the sun at all, actually. I forget what it was. It was like it's uh, Jupiter, maybe. 
Uh, I forget. Like this is, I pulled up. You know how on Astro.com, maybe you don't know the website, but it's like disharmonious and harmonious aspect. Oh right, okay. So those are either squares or trines to the line. Right, yeah, so um, which some stuff. of the kind of like quote unquote traditional astro cartographers don't believe in. I very much do, and we could have that conversation another time. But let's just talk about that, right? Like, what is it for somebody to have a Leo sun? That's like at the midheaven of a place, for example, like that's probably going to be more in agreement with what the computer says the sun at the midheaven, which people call the fame line is about. Right. What is it for the Gemini sun to be configured? Dude, you went to a place where they speak. How many languages do you have in Switzerland, Raphael, like just normally? I guess four, four, four at least. Yeah. Four at least. Right. I mean, how Gemini is that? So like the Gemini sun indicating that place. Now, of course, not every Gemini sun is going to have that, but not every Gemini sun. I mean, how many languages did you experience when you were in Switzerland? Um, I mean, where I was, was actually near um, Montreux, where uh, Frank Zappa and the mothers in the Deep Purple song burned down the fucking casino, smoke on the water. Um, <laughs> so it's a weird place. I mean, it's like, you know, Montreux Jazz Festival or whatever. Um, it was near there. But uh yeah. Well, yeah. So even that idea of like the Montreux Jazz Festival, like the biggest jazz festival ever, like think about how many different styles, right? So it's a really cool place to like explore the Gemini light. You know what I'm saying? For you as a jazz musician, like not all Gemini sons are going to be hip to the truth that Frank Mothers and Frank and the Mothers are singing about Montreux and that song. You know, like that's part of your code. And this is part of the traveling without moving. Now, I mean, you could never go to Switzerland. You could be initiated into that Switzerland line by knowing that fact about that song right. in that place, which is in a sense, uh, space and time, you know, um, at least in the noise regard, no f offense, but all bows to the great Frank Zappa. Anyway, um, so okay. that's important, right? Like just, as you know, this is what I always tell astrologers who are starting to learn these maps. Bring your astrology to the table you are going to delineate a Gemini sun in a very different way than you would a Cancer sun or a Virgo sun or what have you. Do not leave that alone and just push the computer button and tell you what a Gemini, like, you know what a Gemini sun is. What does it mean for a Gemini sun to be rising? What does it mean for a Gemini sun to be reaching? What is it for a Gemini sun to be setting? What is it for a Gemini sun to be rooting in the middle of the night? I mean, you can feel those energies are just significantly different and it's cool to start with the sun because the sun at the angles really, you know, it takes us from night to day and later from day to night and all that. You know? yeah. And then apply that to the other beings, bringing what you know about the moon, what you know about Mercury, and then let the map teach you as well, right? Um, so yeah, looking at local space where we don't really see Switzerland indicated in your own nativity, but like literally, if I went back in time and, you know, barged into the hospital of your birth, and held you, you know, like stole baby Jim and held you up to the sun. And I would, by the way, then I'd take you back. Um, you. you know, I would be literally pointing you in this direction that leads to Africa and eventually to, interestingly, in a place where the, um, like the, the white lions, of the kind of South African shamanism live, Tim, Timvati. This is a very kind of sacred mountain that said uh, Mepsoto. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm completely butchering that pronunciation. It's no, a place that I've not been. Okay. But like there's a book, a really interesting book called The Mystery of the White Lions, um, which you should maybe tune into because your son is pointing there. 
And it's Plus just it's like another divinatory graph. Now, all these lines are going to converge at the opposite side of the globe right here, okay? And then it's coming back very close to Uluru. It's, it's interesting. I'm noticing that your sun local space line is very much um, coincident with my Jupiter local space line. Here it is coming through Oahu. And then up through, this is very close to Mount Shasta and then coming back to your birthplace. So these lines are actually, if you believe in the globe, great circles that all divide the globe in the half, running from like your personal poles, if you will. So let's start next time with our own maps and just tell stories about them. And yeah, yeah. end this time with, and I'll show you this on the map in that next one, but this is my favorite proof of this thing, okay? In the moment of what I call the tower, okay, which was the first plane into the Twin Towers, and it's like 8-something a.m. New York City, like we have the exact seconds, you know, if you believe that happened, it wasn't just some glitch in the Matrix software or whatever. Um, in that moment, if I held you up to Neptune, given that I could energy, energetically feel Neptune, I would be holding you literally to the house next door to the one where Rudy Giuliani grew up. If I held you towards the ascendant in Mercury, there's a line that goes all the way around the world through Chicago where Donald Rumsfeld was born and through Lincoln, Nebraska, where Dick Cheney was born. If I held you towards Mars, I would be holding you in one direction. And these are great circles that go all the way around the world, okay? So whether I'm holding you towards Mars or holding you to that place opposite of Mars, I'm holding you on that great circle. It's going in one direction to D.C. It's going in another direction through New Haven, Connecticut, where George Bush was born, and then to Iraq. And by the way, in the moment of George Bush's birth, if I held you up to Mars, I'm holding you to Iraq as well. If I held you towards the lunar nodes, it goes literally through the headquarters of the United Nations in New York City or in that city within New York City, which is in New York City, which you've probably <laughs> explored, right? Um, and then it goes right to Iran. Interesting. Right. And Pluto goes right to Birmingham, Alabama, where Condoleezza Rice is from. So Cheney, Rumsfeld, Bush, Condoleezza Rice, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, by the way, Mars, I can go through Bush's birthplace to England, Tony Blair, through Romania, which fascinatingly sent more soldiers to Iraq than almost any other country besides the United States and the UN and then mm -hmm. England. It's like how that happened, right? Into Iraq, into fucking Baghdad, like, like exactly. That is uncanny. It is impossible. In any moment. You're starting to chart the, the dance moves of the Dow. I mean, that's how I look at it, essentially. It's like, holy shit, there's patterns there. There's another point, by the way, because I'm like, why is there nothing pointing to Kabul and to Afghanistan? But it's actually the for the moment, it's the Mars Jupiter midpoint. And if you go the other direction of that same midpoint, it points right to Sarasota, Florida, where Bush was. Doing that little like kids presentation or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. With the upside down goat oh, book. Magic right? So, you know, right. as they say, you can't make this shit up. So let me give you one other one. And, you know, this will work just as well in the audio because I'm not showing the maps. 
Neptune, right? So Uranus was discovered, you know, if you, if you believe the hype, uh, quite by accident. William Herschel with his sister Caroline were out hunting comets, which was all the fad if you were rich enough to have a gigantic telescope. And uh, they found one. They found a new light that hadn't been reported. And they, you know, announced this. And the other astronomers turned their scopes. But when they watched this thing for a few days, they were like, that's not a comet. Like, that thing's moving like a planet. So now imagine this. This is the first planet that had ever been discovered. Because you can see Saturn with your eyes. So the cavemen knew about Saturn, right? What are you going to do? How do you name a planet? Like all that stuff. In fact, he said we should name it George because he was trying to get paid by the king and it worked. You can imagine that the American astronomers in 1781 weren't too hip to that idea since we were in the midst of a revolution against that very king, etc. And Uranus is associated with revolutions. There's a French revolution. It's, it's, it's like birthing the technological revolution, the industrial revolution, electricity recently discovered. Right? We really find with these newly discovered planets, there's something about the zeitgeist of the time in which they were discovered that speaks to them. Okay. Anyway, so Uranus was discovered, and Uranus we associate with accidents in this kind of freak, accidental kind of way. Mm. Um, well, Neptune was not. Neptune also, of course, required a telescope because we can't see Neptune with our naked eye. And uh, Uranus, by the way, we can once a year, depending on what the moon's doing, and I've been initiated, and that's a long and very interesting and important story. But Neptune, no, I've only seen Neptune now only once through a telescope, and I'm sure that must have changed me when the light of that planet touched me, you know? Really, the light of the way that that particular planet reflects the sun to Earth touched me. So anyway, the way that Neptune was discovered, where there actually were a few different people that came to the conclusion at the same time, but the name that you often, most often hear was Le Verrier, okay? Who basically was watching Uranus and was like, wait a second, there's something beyond that's pulling on it. Like according to our gravitational you know, models, there must be something big further out than Uranus that's tugging on Uranus every now and then. And that was Neptune. And so using these mathematical calculations, basically based on this kind of, I'll say, Neptunian idea that we're all connected, that we all have pull on one another, Le Verrier made a call to the um, observatory in Berlin to a guy called oh, Johann, what is his name? I forget his name. Something with a G. I just want to look this up real quick so I can tell the story right now. Um, Le Verrier was born in uh, Saint-Lô, France, okay? And when he was born, um, if I held him up to Neptune, which had not yet been discovered, so I would have had to have been really good, I would be holding him in the direction of Berlin. He makes a phone call to Berlin to say, point your telescope here and you will discover Neptune. And the astronomer who answers the phone is called Johann Gottfried Galle. Okay. Now we don't have his birth time, but I know his birthplace, which is Radix, Germany. And maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong, <laughs> um, but I know he was born there. And we have a moment for the discovery of Neptune because he answers the phone. Le Verrier is like, yo, point the telescope in this direction. And some minutes later, he actually just like one degree off from that place that Le Verrier told him to point the telescope, he finds Neptune. He was pointing the telescope towards Neptune in outer space and on Earth, the telescope was pointing to his birthplace. 
So the phone call comes from a guy born in France where Neptune was pointing to Berlin. And in the moment that Neptune was discovered, Neptune was over the discoverer's birthplace. Energetic telephone, in a sense. Like that is fucking impossible to use a technical term. Yeah. Right? And it's these kinds of things. And more importantly, you know, the moments that we have of breakthroughs around our own personal charts and how they help us deal with it all and choose to find more, you know? Um, and, and I mean, I don't know, gosh, a thousand clients now, you know, sitting with people and, and being with them through, you know, the valley of shadows and in the, in the great light and seeing how the chart can lead us through and into these places and all that. Like, it helps me believe in a thing that I really can't see with my eyes. And for me, that's faith. Hmm. Now, religion, I would say, is believing something that somebody told you to. Whereas faith is believing in something that you'll never be able to see with your earthly eyes, but you just know in your heart is real. And um, there's that, but that isn't why I know the earth is round. I know the earth is round because of things I've seen with my own eyes. And that's a whole different trip, but it opens the opportunity. And like, so let's end with this Virgo 999 thing of which our talk is actually titled or at least presently, right? Like when I can explore the data and I want to do so in a sacred way, ours is a sacred science. Let us keep our science scientific by honoring the sacred and sacred by honoring the scientific okay like let's have that balance the quantity the quality the curves the lines you know but how do i know when i'm showing you oh a, a line that if you just change your perspective it's actually a curve right and vice versa um these lines on the maps they're actually circles it's really really cool to know um, so if I can do the data and look at the little pieces of the thing and not get lost in the quest for the data alone, but remember why I started my search, it will offer new opportunities for me to explore the hidden world. You know, and that's, that's my devotion, not only as an astrologer and as like what I call a sacred astronomer, or a geometer, you know, or as a musician, like that's my quest as a human being. And, and I believe it doesn't have to be, but I kind of believe that that's what incarnation is about. So we spend a lot of time on the flat earth, even though like I don't live there, um, because I think it's really powerful for us to write our assumptions at the top of the page. And to also see what the maths do if you replace them with other ones. Yeah, I mean, so many of the physics constants we use are just like actually created to solve the problem. And now we need them to solve these other problems. It's like total bullshit, you know? And if we can laugh at it all and stop this thing of, oh, the ancient idiots, archaic superstition, pseudoscientists who believe the earth was the center. Ah, ha, 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 ha. And then they believe that the sun didn't move. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, you know, I show in my classes, I often show this like NASA page that they designed to teach kids or unteach kids where they're like, you know, the ancients were very strong observers, but they did not know everything about the vastness of space and everything about the heavens, like as if we do now. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was taught in school. 
the ancients were stupid and now we will, you know, overcome because we're on this like linear path of intellectual evolution and we are superior to the ancients. And so why look back? I'll tell you why, because you're fucking burning my planet, <laughs> you know, with your silly science. And thanks for the hot water and the lights. You know, I really appreciate it. It's very helpful um, because it's nice to be comfortable. I can then explore different tigers and the one that's chasing me in the jungle or whatever. Okay. <laughs> you know, so it's very nice to have that privilege of the modern convenience and whatnot. But what if we can make that same light get bright and that same water get hot? instead of by burning things, rather just simply by vibing with the crystal at the center of the earth. And I believe that's what the pyramid builders are up to. And I believe it was left for us in the code. And I believe actually the truth that astrology works and you got to be in it to know that that's real, really, will help us believe in something we can't see and lead us into discovering what it is and how we can resonate with it to work in a cleaner way. Because despite what Agent Smith said, humanity is not a virus. It is a blessing. And we should go forth and multiply, not try to eliminate ourselves for the sake of, you know, the other animals, which is the great distortion, the number one false teaching of our programming which is that we don't deserve to be here because we're ruining the earth. Well, she brought you here. So we should just walk beautifully as human beings, you know? Amen. Yeah. We're follicles of Gaia, like experiencing a whole lot of stuff, it seems. Um, but Brett, it's always a pleasure to get you on here. Like you are one of the people that I could listen to for a long time, even though half the stuff I'm having, I'm like it, uh, you see my chart. It's like, okay, I gotta like see this in a certain way, but you're, I'm glad that you're getting recorded on here because one day, who knows when the aliens come and we're all gone or whatever, they'll be able to see that we were trying, you know, <laughs> we were trying, uh, you know, we were big stewards. You're an amazing astrologer. You're a very uh, technical astronomer, which I appreciate. It's an element that, you know, I'm coming more usually from a Jungian perspective and stuff. So when I hear that the math checks out, so to speak, I'm like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Um, I don't have to like commit to, you know, um, faith blindly. I mean, past a point. I mean, it's, it's, it's not impractical to be into astrology, I guess is the best way to put it. It's, it's very pragmatic. Um, we're going to have to get you back on here. I know it was like a long time coming. I'll hit you up in the next few weeks, probably um, when I know my job situation and get a reading for sure. Uh, if you want to do the whole great, you know, flat earth versus curve thing, we can or not. I, I think that would be fun. I think it would be fun to take this mapping thing like a little bit more practical. And instead of talking about why it is as I have today or what it is, just like what it does. Um, mm -hmm. And because it's just cool. And it's like, wow, that's a thing. And it will bring people into the mystery and we'll show some places online where you can play for free. Um, in regards to figuring out your job status, don't worry about it, dude. You and I can do a trade. I would very much love that. I'd love to hear you getting into my chart or into the cards or how, whatever you want to do, okay? Um, the other thing is I would love to have that round, flat conversation. I hope that I can align my own heart in such a way that instead of round versus flat, it's a, you know, a celebration of you know, the Gemini realms. Because I do live on a flat earth when I stand outside and I'm glad I'm standing on flat ground because it would suck if I was completely trying to, you know, it'd be just too much core work if this thing was curvy. Anyway, um, the other piece that I would say is um, 
this, I teach astronomy for astrologers in a six week gig. Okay. And I've since learned instead of doing it for six weeks, I do three on two months off and then another three weeks on. So there's time for integration because I can tell you about how the moon reflects sunlight to earth and the phases, but it takes a month to experience it. It takes two months to experience it twice and it extends a year's worth to experience in all of its different ways. And actually 18 and a half years to do that, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so when I'm bringing this kind of technological thing or technical thing, and especially when I'm not showing pictures and trying to do this in words, right? In a way, it supports and hopefully calls people towards the study. In fact, you can go to GeminiBrett.com, go to the courses page and follow a sacred astronomy link to, to take the course online. Um, and um, the other side of it is, yeah, it's helpful to be like, oh, cool. Well, you know, there's so many parts of this craft, like that cuts on that part. And I hope that I'll get the call when astrologers are invited to a debate with astronomers because so far what I've experienced is astrologers that I respect sit with the astronomers and because they cannot face the attacks that are coming from the rationalist kind of, you know, astronomical model camp, they just say something like, oh, see, astrology is just this symbolic language. So don't worry about us. Like we're not trying to say we're a science and it, it sickens me because it's just the lack of understanding by astrologers. So I'll just end again. There's a cool book that's like Hellenistic astronomy. Let me grab it. It's called The Phenomena. Although we don't actually know the name of the book. And the other one is um, uh, like the, the, the topic's most beautiful. Uh, that's not exactly it, but it's something like that. And it's this cat Geminos, okay? Now this book was first translated into a modern language and it was French in 1975, which is the year of my birth. And then it was first translated into English in 2005 at the University of Washington when I was at school there. And I wasn't aware of this, okay? Like I later came into studying some great ancient astronomy and being like, yo, that thing that they're teaching is fucking wrong. Like, does anybody else know that? Like, there are all these Hellenistic astrologers that are teaching this incorrect astronomical thing unless our assumptions about the zodiac that they were using is wrong. And I'm sure that's true. But I looked online and there's other people like me who are like, yeah, and we're not the first to complain. Like, there's this guy, Geminos, who lived in their time. It was like, yo, y'all are doing that thing long, wrong. And you better stop looking down at your stolen books and get outside and look up at the sky. Right. And I'm like, wow, I'm really aligned there. And I try to do that in like an invitational way and not in a like, oh, you're some bad boy because you don't know what star that is or that that's Jupiter and that's Saturn or whatever, you know, in the sky when you go outside. Like I have found very great astrologers that do not have any astronomical understanding. But I've also found great musicians who know nothing about theory. And then if they go and I, first of all, I think you're a better musician if you learn without that. But then if you go and you add that, man, you can add so much to the way that you play. And that's what I'm here for in that context. Right. So on another side, I use all sorts of techniques that have zero astronomy, zero rhyme or reason, simply seem to be the symbolic thing in the ancient astrology and the timing techniques. I've come to believe them because I see that they work and it's actually helped me release some of my own materialism not to say that i'm in it for the money that's laughable 
But to say that I am like, I want there to be a thing I can point to. I want there to be a crystal at the heart of earth. I want there to be something in matter. I think matter matters. But I also know that there are parts of our chart that exist in places where the feet are not on the ground. And I want to do both of those things. Yeah. And I know that in this way, we are birds of a feather. And so let me just end by saying thank you for hosting me once again and having me uh, in a space where we can look at some of the things. And it's fun, though, you know, you, I couldn't keep all the words away, given the signs of our crazy times out there. And may we just choose to shine the light and thrive, even despite it all, and choose to be free and despite it all and change the paradigm here and let that spread. Yeah, like fragrance. But um, it's fun that we've gotten to talk about other things rather than, you know, the control structures and places we typically go. Because frankly, and this is included, especially in astrology, I feel very isolated as being one of very few kind of cons conspiratorially aligned astrologers. And I've been really sad to see many of the elders that I respect in the community, like completely on board. I think you need that real Scorpio energy, if I may say, you know, that's what's that's the saving grace in this case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like it's time for me to start like a bit shooter rumble or wherever other place you can go and be like, you know, kind of like Scorpio Brett's uncensored astrology. Because there's plenty of the things in the astrological chart that aren't talking about butterflies and moonbeams or, you know, they're talking about the control mechanism and the eugenicism and the, you know, transhumanism and the potential Skynet nightmare. Yeah, you can see it. Right. And so I'm always like begging the chart for when does it end? But my issue is I see it ending in a way that I believe it's supposed to. And that blinds me to the way that it can be. Right. So putting our assumptions at the top of the page, knowing where we are cosmologically, allowing that to be redefined if we see the world works in a different way than we were taught or we think it should. This is what it is to be a seeker. So it's oh, always a joy to spend my time and connect my heart to yours because I know you all are coming from a very similar place and therefore we will get to that mountaintop and it's going to be a really wonderful party. I'll see you there. We'll laugh about it for sure one day. That's my thinking. It's like, this is all fucked up, but we'll laugh about it and just be like, my God, we were ignorant gods. In the Let's live the future now, live our higher selves so we can laugh about it today already. Thank mm. you very, very much, Gemini Brett. It is so incredibly fascinating. I cannot put it into words. Thanks for giving us so much of your time. It's almost like a complete teaching. I encourage everyone, of course, to check out your website, all the things that you mentioned to anyone who's interested in really understanding these interconnections. And yeah, thank you for keep keeping shining the light, uh, as I guess we all share and anyone listening, listening most likely as well. So thank you also anyone for listening or watching. And we're very much looking forward to having you on again. Thank you. Thank very, you. Very yeah, much. let me actually say two specific places on my website. If you go, it's GeminiBrett.com. Go to the offerings page and there's a movie called the sun on the cross at the turning of the ages, which is like a really cool, like deep dive into like my own passionate side of my work. There's another one called hearing the heavenly harmonies where you can see some of like the, the astrology musical thing that I'm up to. And if you're interested in pursuing this um, astro mapping thing a little further, it's one of my favorite things to do in counseling. So you'll find a work with me tab, but you can also go to Norwalk 
N-O-R-W-A-C.net. And check out the um, local space astrology class I offered to that conference last summer. And you'll see like a really kind of cool teachings with a lot of pictures that will help this thing come out of words and into the body. All right, gents. Well, I look forward to continuing in any way and any time. I'm a huge fan of both of you. I love listening to you. And it's really an honor to be a voice in this fun expression. And here we are, 250. Congratulations. Jim, it's the first time I heard you're engaged. Congratulations for that, too. And let's keep it up, y'all. Love you, dude. Take it easy. All right. Love you, bro. Peace. Thank you.